to match me. My style is impetuous. My defense is impregnable. And I'm just ferocious. I want your heart. I want to eat children. episode of the motherfucking tough talk podcast uh what you just heard right there the intro the tough talker of the week was uh kirk franklin that's right gospel singer kirk franklin uh cursing out his son his estranged son which i'm not necessarily sure what estranged means these days i guess it means you have a strenuous relationship or a long distance relationship but the son decided to record a phone call between Kirk and him which you know it it was one of those things that kind of backfired like yeah man we get that he's a gospel singer we get that he's in church but uh as they often say in church, uh, we are not perfect and uh, the Lord is still working on us. So you can get your ass cursed out. <laughs> Kirk told him, I will break your neck. <laughs> he going to say, is that a threat? And it's like, I don't know why you asking us. Sound like it's between the two of y'all. <laughs> Sound like it was. Uh, I don't think he left a whole lot up to be figured out. But uh yeah, it just wound up backfiring. Everybody's just laughing because it's like, dude, you're 33 fucking years old. Like if you were seven years old, him telling you he was going to break your neck might be a big fucking deal. <laughs> but because you're 33 years old, everybody just went, uh, yeah, you know, growing up, there were times when my parents should have told threatened to break my fucking neck, you know, so, and then most everybody uh, that's a Kirk Franklin fan is also a parent, so, uh, yeah, what did they say, spare the rod, spoil the child, <laughs> Kirk might have been sparing the rod there, uh, which everybody's, the easy joke is everybody's, uh, <laughs> stomp, Got a whole new meaning to that song, Stomp Now. Stomping your kid out. Everybody already think Kirk looked like Plies anyway, the rapper Plies. So everybody like, are we sure that wasn't Plies? I seen they uh, making the memes with his face on his old album covers and stuff. And it's like, oh, Kirk been the gangster this whole time. Forget melodies from heaven. These is melodies from hell. Strange weekend, you know, Kirk Franklin is cussing out his child and Kanye is winning Grammys for gospel songs. Uh, Somebody help it make sense. So 
We recorded this episode uh, Saturday. It is now Monday. Um, about to post this, and uh, not much happened over the weekend other than Kirk threatening to break his son's neck, which is hilarious. Uh, Kirk Franklin, I, I think that's what it takes to be a legend at this point. Your children gotta fear you. Kirk bringing some of that Joe Jackson energy with him. <laughs> Because Laura Hill's uh, daughter made a video a few months ago about whoopings and how her mom whooped her and how she lived in fear. And it's like, you ain't living in too much fear if you uploading the video. Because that's the last thing I'd be doing if I was living in fear. I'd be handing that shit over to the FBI. Like, get me help. Relocate me. Put me in the witness protection program. <laughs> But, uh, yeah, the Grammys happened, which the Grammys felt, I don't know, they felt a little off because it felt like, you know, I don't think we had the Grammys last year. And I'm going to have to check on that, but I don't think we had the Grammys last year. And all the people who won seemed like they won for work that was put out over a year ago so maybe they just combined the two years I don't really know but the Grammys happened uh, Nas won for King's Disease so that's a big accomplishment I mean you know it was always strange that he never had a Grammy for as respected as he is by the culture he never won a Grammy not that you need one, which I always say that's part of Kanye's, you know, problem was that the Grammys had given him so many awards that they made him feel like he was the culture instead of a part of the culture, which we all know it's a very white board that picks the Grammys. So it's usually a little skewed from what we actually like to what they feel like we like, you know, but this time they got it right. King's disease. I'm. Still enjoying that one from Nas. Uh, Car 85 is my joint. I like Car 85. Got old man Charlie Wilson on there doing the woo-wees. <laughs> I won't, I'll spare you to sing it. I won't try to imitate it. Who uh, else won? I saw dope performance from uh, Bruno Mars and Anderson Pack online and whatever they're doing. Yeah, they're doing like a new soul group. I forget what the name of it is, but Bruno Mars and Anderson Pack had a dope performance. Check that out if you're into that type of thing. Uh, what else is happening? What else happened over the weekend other than Kirk Franklin threatening his son? Uh, let me think here. Oh, well, I guess I could just tell you about this episode because I wanted to keep it brief anyway. Uh, this episode, we t I'm joined by my co-host, Ibrahim Khalif. Uh, we're joined by Jamie Robinson's veteran New York City comedian. Uh, we talk a little bit about, you know, producing shows and what goes into that, uh, what goes into getting booked on shows, what's the difference of producing a show at a club versus producing a show outside a club. A lot of comedy talk on this one. Uh talk a little bit about life. We talk a little bit about parenting. The two of them, Ibrahim and Jamie, are both parents. And I'm over here still with the bachelor life. Might change it any minute. Knock on wood. <laughs> um, 
What else did we discuss? Oh, we discussed Coming to America 2. It's a dope movie. Uh, if you haven't seen it, uh, of course, it doesn't live up to the first one. Whatever could. I mean, 30 years in the making. Uh, I've, I've met Jermaine Fowler before. And uh, I think I said on this episode that Jermaine Fowler, the main star of Coming to America 2 and Eddie Murphy both had the same first manager that was Richie Tinkin that was the owner of the comic strip that passed away recently so when I watch that movie I see family and I see I see a comedy family and I see you know a family tree a little bit of you know connected generations it just felt good to see a black movie that wasn't about, you know, the cops killing us, police brutality. Like, uh, what was the movie that just came out? Judas and the Black Messiah. And it wasn't about, you know, slavery or nothing. So I enjoyed the movie. But we talk a little bit about coming to America, too, on this one. Uh, what else? It should have been titled Coming to Zamunda. That's the only, that's my only critique, because technically, that's what it was about. Uh, I think we talked a little bit at the beginning about uh, Pepe Le Pew getting canceled. <laughs> yeah, the skunk got canceled after Dave Chappelle predicted it, 25 years after Dave Chappelle predicted it. Pepe Le Pew finally got his comeuppance. Uh, he's being canceled right along with Cuomo. Uh, the cartoon skunks being canceled. Um, what else did we talk about on this one? Well, that's really it. You know, comedy. Talked a little life and them being parents. And we talked coming to America too. Uh, I ain't gonna hold you guys on this one. Uh, that's all we're gonna do for an intro. Uh, like, share, subscribe. Uh, and enjoy the episode. Yo. What up? Shit. Chilling, yo. Cool, cool. Chilling. Yeah, I know. This shit, no matter what, if I start at 12 or if I start at 2, it feels like I'm just always waking up on Saturday. <laughs> yeah, I, yo, I fell asleep early as fuck last night. I fell asleep at like 9, shit, not even 9 o'clock. Maybe like 7 and some change. Yeah. You finding yourself fatigued more now? I know I am. Like, um, well, I was just having this. I was just talking and uh, having this conversation with somebody. I said, um, when you know, when everything opened back up, when Comedy Streets is back open or whatever, you're gonna have to build up your wind of staying out late again. There you go. Yeah, I don't have any stamina. Yeah, I like, did. Uh, I went to two places in one night, and that shit had me the next day. Like, wow, and then. Even on the train, I I was dozing off a little on the way back, and I'm like, yeah, I don't have any stamina anymore. Yeah, you don't even think you don't even think of how much it you know it takes, how much conditioning it takes to to make all those spots that you're doing, or even if you're just trying to go around and see what's happening in the scene, that shit takes a lot out of you. Like you have to be in shape for that shit. Yeah, it's even a lot of mental space, even because I had to prepare a set recently. Right, right. And I don't know, it was just something about doing comedy outside that I was less prepared. Or like, I'm walking in Central Park and, like, now I got a spot of, like, you know, I just kind of rattle off some thoughts that was on the brain. But 
once we mm-hmm. actually got back inside, it felt a little like playing street ball to playing a regulation game. Like, oh, shit, mm-hmm. there's a shot clock now. and Yeah, now I got to run sets. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? I, I get I get what you mean, but, yeah, you just got to get re- reconditioned to that. I went to – I had a, I did a spot at Jarrett's show in, in, in Astoria, mm-hmm. and then I went to Bedford Manor after that to go support um Dave Lester's room. Yeah, that's a nice and, one. And uh yeah, Bedford Manor, yeah, and uh after that I drove down, you know, I we went down to the you know, down to the village around mm-hmm. walked down McDougal. Then everybody split, you know, went they separate ways and I had to drive home. Right. I was, I was tired. I was like, yo, I've never felt this tired getting home after being out all night. It felt good to do it. Yeah, it's like shit. I gotta get reconditioned to being out this late again because I remember being out at the cellar or being around. It's about two, three o'clock in the morning, and then yeah, sometimes and I get home just... till four or five. Yeah, and it was no issue. Same here. Like boom, boom, bam, three spots in you know two hours and shit. Boogie yeah. on back home, and it's like you still sit at home. You up for an hour or two just from the adrenaline of coming off stage. But yeah, right. now. Anything more than one thing to do in an entire day is too much for me. That quarantine still got me shook. Like, yo, I'm used to, you know, basically getting coffee and then grabbing groceries if I got it and taking my right. ass home. So got quarantine fatigue. So now Yeah, definitely. I went to the doctor. She was talking about how my vitamin D was low. Pause. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, it has to do because no one's getting any sunlight. Nah, facts. You know I mean, yeah. you're not out. You're not out. Plus, on top of it being you're quarantined, and then on top of it, we're in the dead of winter, what well, we were at least. And you know what I'm saying? It's like, yeah, your vitamin D gonna be low. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Everybody's. Which that was the mixed messages that they were sending. You know, were those two of you know one, keep your immune system up. Which part of that was going to the gym, and then they closed the gym. So it's like, all right, well. You're telling us to stay inside, but also stay healthy. So how are we even getting sunlight? Right. This exercise that you want us to get, I mean, you can only do right. so much in a park. <laughs> or in a house, yeah. Or in the house, yeah. So a lot so of mixed it's... messages with that. But mm-hmm. that's the popular joke right now is uh, Cuomo is opening New York slowly. Mm-hmm. Like he's opening it, uh, you know. Nope. They said with each new allegation, he opens it a little more. <laughs> <laughs> Like, you get the fourth girl, and then it's like, oh, open it to 20%. 25, yeah, yeah. Oh, oh I'm up to six accusers now. Open it to 30%. And it's like, okay, we just have to keep accusing them till we hit 100. <laughs> Yo, it's, it's just so funny. Yeah, it's like now he doesn't have a problem with comedy now that his ass is on, now his ass is, you know, you know got the spotlight on him. Which I don't know. I want to. I want to speak about it, but then I say to myself at times, like, are you being fair to women? Because you say to yourself, I'm just like, and I mean, this is where my mind is, and I'm recognizing it might be the wrong thought is just, I just always feels like it takes, it takes attention from true victims of, you know, rape or sexual assault to, you know, now we're talking about a hug and a kiss, like a greeting, customary mm-hmm. greeting, hug and kiss at a wedding right from seven years ago right oh that's what it is i haven't been paying it i haven't been paying well a lot of it is just like customary bullshit and then you know Mm. 
everybody frowned on Mike Pence not meeting a woman unless his wife was present. Right. It just seems like they're insulted by everything and all these mixed messages, man. Uh, you know, even mm-hmm. shit like the gender neutral stuff with Mr. Potato Head. And then we get uh what did we get earlier this week? Um Mr. Potato Head, then it's like, well, you're talking about gender neutral, but this is woman's history month. So which Right, is- right. <laughs> <laughs> I just can't figure out if we going forwards or backwards. I feel like an old ass man. Yeah, just keep the motherfuckers off balance. That's all it is. Niggas, they, niggas just want to have a platform to to just gripe. You know, yeah. it's, it's just it's like we're living in. You remember, like on Family Guy when they gave Peter. You know what grinds my gears? Yeah. That episode. It seemed like that was a precursor to social media and all of these little Twitter movements that's happening. Mm-hmm. That's being posed. It's like a bunch of people with a bunch of gripes, but there's no clear direction. They just keep people off balance. Yeah, it's all so weird, and it's just like, okay, we're getting rid of Pepe Le Pew, and it's like, this is a Dave Chappelle joke come to life. Right, right, right. (laughs) Yep. Like, And and a lot of, like, what people are saying, which I point, which you and I talked about even before this episode was, she didn't like Pepe because he wasn't a cat. She was down for Pepe until she found out that he wasn't a cat. Mm-hmm. When she smelled him and realized he was a skunk, then she didn't want to be with him no more. Well, the species yeah. neutral crowd is gonna have a problem with you labeling them as cats and skunks. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but look, you know how motherfuckers try to tell you that if you don't like transgendered women or whatever, you're transphobic. Yeah. Well, I guess she was skunk phobic mm-hmm. because <laughs> he liked her, but she didn't like him. Yeah, and that's really the game that I've come back around to playing with them. Mm-hmm. You know, I make a joke you don't like, oh, you're a joker-phobe, but just attach phobic to anything and aim it right back at them because that's basically what they're doing. Yeah, pretty much. Oh, you don't like fat people. You're fat-phobic. It's no, off. It's, no, I want yeah. you to be healthy and live long. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's not even too bad for no. me to care about your health. And that's not even to say, you know, sometimes when you talk about weight, I think people um, people get into this idea that you want everyone to be skinny, but it's just like, shit, you know, I know some thicker girls that's in shape of like, you know, be the best version of you. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's, I used to, um, man, I used to personal train people, uh, mostly women. Mm Mm-hmm. And they and they were some of the most delusional people that you ever wanted to meet I, that I would come in contact with. Yeah, it's like it's either one or the other. It was just like feast or famine type mentality. It's like they either wanted to be the chicks who went and got surgery. By the way, they wanted mm-hmm. to be them, or they just wanted to be as fat and lazy as they wanted to be. At and the like same some time, of, some of the most, some of my best clients were people, especially women. Who were just realistic. Interesting. They wanted to go through the hard work. They understood that, um, you know, the sacrifices they would have to make. We just live in a instant gratification microwave society. Oh, we do. You know what I'm saying? And then if you, what happens is people project that insecurity that they have uh, or the inability they have to change themselves or better themselves. They make everyone else responsible for how they feel. So if I'm yes. fat, 
I know that I don't want to go through the hard work of training myself and getting in better shape and improving my health or whatever like that. So I'm going to make you feel guilty for making me feel that I'm fat, even though I know I should be changing my life. Yeah. You understand what I'm saying? It's society's responsibility. It's like that Cat Williams where he he says, you know, self-esteem. Do I look fat in this dress? It's like, bitch, it ain't the dress. I've seen you naked. (laughs) Right, right, right. So yeah, it's almost a deflection or a distraction. Or or like they say, you ruined my self-esteem. And he had that joke. He said, bitch, self-esteem. Yeah, it's called self-esteem. It's a steam of your motherfucking self. How you feel about you? Everybody else is everyone else is not responsible for you to feel the way you do. It's like I was, your responsibility. Uh, you know, hot topic on Twitter, or well, black Twitter, I should say, was um, they just, a woman, and a black woman, I should say, to be specific, was tweeting about, you know, basically how uncomfortable a gay guy would be in a black barbershop. And you read it two or three times, and then one place your mind goes to is, well, at a point, you just want us to do whatever the fuck you want us to do. So basically now you're telling us to shut up or to modify our conversations in our uh, safe, toxic space, I'll call them, because my mm-hmm. safe spaces are toxic. I, I hate that they act like the two are um, separate. Mm-hmm. Like, nah, it could be both. Let me, tell you, <laughs> let me tell you something. See, again, this is them playing offense to keep us playing defense. One of the most toxic, toxic, so-called toxic places I've ever been in is a fucking hair salon. Exactly. And I, my barber, my barber that I used to have back in the day, uh, he, for a period, actually a couple of them, would, they were cutting in, in, in a hair salon. And some of the shit you would hear in a hair salon, you would never hear in a barber. Nah, absolutely. Some of the worst gossip you've ever heard. In life, came I've heard in a in a hair salon. We we need these places to have conversations sometimes, and mm-hmm. and to kind of have these uh to build a bond and to have these sort of uh I guess myopic or one way conversations where the viewpoints and even w- within a barbershop you're gonna have little fragments, little disagreements. So. And nigga, ain't no, ain't, no, that the, um, ain't no little disagreements. You have a lot of disagreements. No, facts. But just saying that the um everyone who's in the conversation looks the same. Meaning, you know, everybody's got their spaces, you know. If if uh, I guess white guys have country clubs and golf courses and things, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and then we have our barber shops, and just as you said, they have their beauty shops. So it's a level of like well, do I get to come into a gay bar and tell them to change their topics of conversation? Right. So it's just like, well, you know, and and here's the real crime that I see here sometimes is I did a mic last night up in Harlem and uh, mm-hmm. it's cool. I got to, you know, hit the gym and just, you know, sometimes you don't want to necessarily get on that train and that long ride. Right. I did uh wound up doing Rashad Bashir's mic up on uh, Harlem nights mm-hmm. and there was this black gay guy, and I mean, very flamboyant, mm-hmm. right? And sometimes when you sit there online all day and you see people defend him, you forget that dude's the toughest dude in the room because he's walking around in a purple leopard print shirt all day through Harlem. Mm-hmm. Meaning, like, he's not hiding it who he is at all. And he's right. not ashamed of it. And I mean, 
mm-hmm. throughout the mic. He was yelling out at people like, you know, we having an orgy later come through. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah. Just the level of like when you just sit there and read them defending them sometimes, it's like they they don't really need you to defend them. Most of them are the toughest people in the neighborhoods because, you know, they know they're out and everyone kind of knows it. You they, know had to, I mean? they had to fight their whole life for that. To, for yeah, that they had to fight their whole life to be who they are and not saying mm-hmm. that they should have to fight. But really, right. when you boil it down, we all had to fight. You know, mm-hmm. I was always the little nigga. So it was like, oh, who's laughing? Oh, he was laughing. Oh, well, I'm going to slap the shit out of him. It's like, nah, slap the bigger dude. <laughs> right, right, right. So we all kind of had to fight to be who we are. And you I all, think you, they, yeah. they at a certain point just view it as fair. Like uh, a comic at one point, obviously a black comic, you know, says to the guy something about, you know, Whatever, whatever. Your balls probably, or your breath probably smell like balls. Uh-huh, uh-huh. And the gay guy replies back to him, you know, without missing the beat. You just mad because it don't smell like your balls. And the whole room went crazy. Like, oh, great comeback. Yeah, and it's like, like I said, you know, when you read these critiques and these different conversations online, I think they get to being very, you know small views and it's like yeah look at this dude you know this dude like i said i don't want to say he's the toughest but he ain't he ain't no punk because he's had to walk around his whole life and kind of take that mm-hmm. and and a lot of times you know we don't we don't bother them but you know what else is funny about her viewpoint is you go well what is your um you would ask her well how many barbershops have you been in i've been in one once a month probably my whole life for 30 something years now mm-hmm. and to a woman you would say well how many times are you even in the barbershop what are you even talking about like there's mm-hmm. good guys that come in my barbershop right they come to get haircuts yeah you know and so they... it's just like yo what are you mm-hmm. you speaking for somebody that didn't ask your ass to speak for them and then like i said you know right after that then it becomes oh protect black woman time so the same man that i told to shut up so this gay guy could be comfortable now it's time for you to come defend me and be a man so it's just all these mixed messages that i'm just like what is even going on <laughs> people just starting shit and trying to build build a following behind oh yeah definitely. Some, some thoughts they think are profound when they actually aren't yeah and i hate when those conversations you know trickle to <laughs> they trickle into real life and you almost just stare through the person of like what the hell are you even talking about of like you know maybe that works on social media that don't work here mm-hmm. where it's like nah we can actually have a 3d conversation but that shit sure is annoying because you're just like oh god would you shut up it's all fake outrage yeah it's like somebody said it's like you acting like you found one of them dead at a barbershop. Like, you mm-hmm. you ever see a gay guy dead in a barbershop? I'm just like, well, calm down then. Right. Sure. A good deal of them, they come in and they, they come right in, like, they get right in the midst of the conversation. Yeah, yeah. Now, that's what I'm saying. It's like, you know, don't treat them like... If anything, most of the most honest conversations come in inside of a barbershop. I used to cut hair. I cut hair for like four years. Nigga, you've like done we, we every talk. job. Yeah. <laughs> I'm well traveled. There isn't a job you haven't done. Barbershop, 
I never mm-hmm. had a steady hand. My hands be shaking and shit. Like, you know, when you try to do something and it's real, like, what's the mm-hmm. word I'm looking for? I guess real particular or detailed. My hands, like, right. it's drawing. It's like, ah, trying to make these little details and my hand will start shaking and it's like, damn. Well, you start, well, when you cut hair, you start out like that. <laughs> yeah. And then you start over, out like that, trust me. Over time, you develop uh, yeah. a more steady hand. It's more in the wrist. It's all in the wrist, really. All in the wrist. It's all in the wrist, and it's all in how you place your fingers. Hmm. Your fingers. You know what I'm saying? It's how you utilize your fingers to gauge how hard you should press. Yeah. How hard you should press on the on the you know press the uh, the clippers on the person, the T outliners or whatever, and then how yeah. you use your wrist after that. It's a great it's 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 a great profession. You can make a lot of money cutting hair. You make a lot of money within a short span of time. Oh yeah, definitely. You can, you can literally make a hundred dollars an hour. I was trying fast to enough. explain to somebody that about academic inflation. I'm like, yo, you know, academic inflation, which basically is the concept that if we all have bachelor's degrees, does anybody have a bachelor's degree? Mm. And I was trying to explain to somebody that, like, yo, you know, we we know Kenny Warren's my barber, which he's a comic. Shouts out to Kenny Warren, mm-hmm. the average black man, and all that. But uh. What I want to say of like, you know, when you look at employment, my homeboy, my old roommate, you know, he's got a degree in computer science and mm-hmm. you know, he's in very much into the tech world and coding, but he'll have these long layoffs and he struggles with, you know, racism within the job and all that stuff. And I say to them of like, yeah, you know, your ceiling may be a hundred thousand or you know 120k or something like that 150k a year but you know when you factor in a year off here six months off there it's like Mm -hmm, the mm -hmm. dude that's making a steady you know 50k a year will beat you every time whereas that job that barber is gonna be there that barber the work is gonna be there niggas gonna nigga nigga barbers make barbers make like Maybe close to a hundred thousand, if not more than a hundred thousand dollars a year, if they if they working it right. Now starting off, you may not make that much. Right. But starting off, you you more like a thirty. You know what I'm saying, nah. You start starting off, you make like twenty, thirty because you're just starting. Yeah, you ain't but got once your you client. Build that, bro. Once you get that clientele, my nigga, man, you can make a you can make an easy one hundred thousand dollars cut yeah. here because you make a hundred. You make a hundred dollars. You can. You can make a hundred dollars in an hour. Mm-hmm. Quick, quick. Yeah, exactly. And and a lot of it be off the off the books too. So a lot of it is off the books. So mm-hmm. you know, then you got a lot of write offs because you know you have to buy your equipment. You have to get your, your blade sharpened. Yeah. You got to buy all the barbicide and all of that shit. You know, it has a lot of benefits. It's a great. It's a great profession. And that's the thing with our with our um society. Like a lot of. Our a lot of our a lot of our workforce a lot of people don't have trades. Mm-hmm. A lot of people are now now into you know technology, content creating, and all that stuff. But the motherfuckers who'll never go broke are the plumbers, the barbers. You know what I'm saying? Not facts. The, the auto cooks, mechanics, auto mechanics. These motherfuckers that that have these jobs, these are uh, vocationals, mm-hmm. vocational skills, will always be employed. Yeah. They, because they provide a great deal of, they provide a service that accommodates the major things, which is food, clothing, and shelter. Always, always preferred a job that wasn't up to like you know certain <laughs> jobs you can leave up to an opinion, right? Mm-hmm. So like, 
I worked for Lowe's for almost eight years doing deliveries, appliance deliveries. But before that, I was on the truck just unloading them. Mm -hmm. And, you know, when you're in the store or whatever, customer service that, you know, somebody could say, oh, I, I felt like your service was bad. But when you do a delivery, it's like, did they bring this shit into my house? Did they deliver it? Was it in good shape? And did they not damage anything? Mm-hmm. Of like, it's not a whole lot of room. It's cut and dry. It's cut yeah, dry. pretty cut and dry. Right. And I before that, I was doing alarm installs, and that was I went to school for trades. So yeah, you know, which every, we used to have a joke. Every nigga there was one mistake away from going to prison. <laughs> there was even a few dudes that was fresh out that we was laughing about. And I went when I was nineteen. I got out, and I was making like I was making like sixteen dollars an hour. I remember I had a gas card. I was living good. Like I would fill up the car always on the weekend. <laughs> Just go ahead and fill your shit up. But yeah, it was it was cool. And I mean, yeah. I, I wish I stayed in that world, but yeah, I, f- I always felt like, you know, with the college and shit, you're gonna go learn a bunch of shit and then have to come back out into a world that, you know, people may not see you a, a space for you in that space. Mm. So even though you got the degree or whatever, which, you know, academic inflation to the point of, yeah, everybody's got a bachelor's degree, which I was looking at, you know, I'm on TikTok now. You know, TikTok's full body. So it ain't a lot of hiding going on on there. Um, these girls on there, that's just practically porn, man. Uh, but no, one girl actually honestly was saying she was talking about her surgery. It, which is, you know, the technical term for the surgery they get now is a BBL. But Brazilian butt lift? Yep. Yeah. And I'm looking and I'm saying, now if every girl gets the surgery, because there's nothing special about a fat ass anymore. And, and not only that, but like somebody said, it's like, okay, you still not cute. <laughs> mm, mm. And you still not, you still don't look good, you know. Your ass looks good, but uh, <laughs> man, it's been a lot, man. And, yeah, because it take to the point like, now where I uh, follow some girls just based off the fact that they're not trying to be that. Like I remember, I found one girl on there. She's a doctor, and I was like, "Well, that's cool." All her, all her um videos and stuff are from the chin up and I'm like she's trying very hard not to be uh-huh. what you see these girls be where it's just like you know at a certain point you're I've like what seen, dude, what I, is I, even going I, on I, I've here? seen girls start out like that on social media and I'm mm-hmm. just about it where I say I get in with I get in with thirst traps like I, like with like the stock market I get mm-hmm. in low when they have a low amount of followers <laughs> when they don't have that K, that K behind their followers. When a bitch get a K behind their followers, it's yeah. a wrap. So early on, they don't have that many followers. They respond to DMs. They interact with you back and forth. They don't. They're not really hoish. Mm-hmm. Soon, I said, but then soon as I, I said, but soon as they, uh, they get a little naked and I see they butthole, I said, I sell. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I, sell, I sell high because that's when I stop following them. Because that's when they get that K behind their followers. They don't respond to any messages. They whatever. Then every other picture is a picture of their ass and everything. It's yeah. Like, I've seen girls progressively get more and more whorish. Because they realize that's what's bringing the attention. But like I said, right. at a certain point, for me, it becomes not a matter of attention, which right. 
they start to take mistaken attention for respect. That's one. Uh-huh, and then uh-huh. two is, you know, who's watching? It's not anyone who's important. It's, you know, a lot of kids that it's like, yeah. Uh-huh. Oh, you mean on TikTok? Yeah, yeah, on yeah, TikTok, you, yeah. Even on Instagram, it's like some of these comments, you see hard eyes, click on that profile picture and you'll be like, it's oh, a, shit, like this a 16, is a 16, 17-year-old kid. kid. Yeah. There's a and girl it's like- a lot of like 16, 17-year-olds and then it's uh-huh. a lot of, 60 year old men right Look at the good morning babe and it's like yeah, you know, this that. isn't a personal relationship right yeah yeah it's what? like it's like um i follow this girl uh, on there that's a, also a doctor and she's beautiful beautiful woman what i like about her page is that she you she utilizes the fact that she's beautiful to bring attention to he- like health issues right so she'll be doing a tiktok and she'll be doing her little shimmy or whatever but she's never twerking. She's never none of that. And then she'll be like, point. You know how they do the point? And it'd be like a caption of different health tips. Like, if your urine smells like such and such, go get checked because you might have a UTI. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like, oh shit. Like, I'm like, yo, this bitch is actually telling. Like, I remember she was doing something. She she was uh talking about some. She did a video and she started talking about kidney health and, and, and you know, uh, oh, she was talking about, like, if you're, you know, how your schools are supposed to look or something yeah. like that. And I was like, damn, I'm over here. I came here for titties. For the pretty face. But right, for the pretty face in, in, in the titties. But I'm learning about health, and I'm like, oh, this is cool. Because now I'm not even, now when I go and see her videos, I don't even go to look at for her. I go to look and see what type of health tips she's got. Right. Like the fact that she's pretty now is second or third behind the advice she's given. Yeah, like, oh, yeah, yeah, exactly. Which yes, yeah, being purposeful and I mean Right. You know, the thought that I have then is you know, if everyone's got an OnlyFans, does anyone have an OnlyFans? If everyone's got a Brazilian butt lift, does anyone have one? And mm. then you it's almost funny cuz it's like you got surgery to impress a regular nigga. Right. That has no surgery. And then it's like, well, the curve is there's only so many rappers and athletes you can date before you got a Brazilian butt lift and you're dating a nigga that works at Foot Locker. Mm. Good luck. <laughs> mm-hmm. I'm like, was that even a good investment? <laughs> and And like I said, it's regular girls now to the point of like, I never got the point of, you know, there are girls who have breast implants and they're not a strippers. And it's like, whoa, I don't understand <laughs> why you would get those and then go work at Walmart. I wonder if I wonder if a stripper a stripper or adult film star can write that off as a business expense. Hilarious. I, I wouldn't be surprised. Which you know, I always think of whenever we think of surgery, you start thinking of like, you know, it's really a disease and Think of obviously Lil Kim, which of oh. course they of course they blame that on men, which is yeah, like well that breaks my heart, man. Explain Michael Jackson. And yeah, Lil Kim was real cute. And then Sammy Sosa. It's like, well, explain Sammy Sosa. Oh, well, men made little Kim feel insecure about her looks. It's like, no, she, if she was insecure, that's on her. Right. You know, because then explain Sammy Sosa. Do we get to blame that on women? And that's what right. I say sometimes for them. It's just like, well, okay, cool. You keep blaming us for stuff. When do you ever take responsibility or what do you need to work on? You know, if I need to shut the fuck up in barbershops so gay men can be comfortable, then what do you need to do in the beauty shop? 
you know, <laughs> since you so hell-bent on making everything inclusive. Like, I'm sure y'all in there having little dick conversations, so. Man, they have all types of fucking, they talk about who's cheating on who. Oh, I'm, I'm sure. Oh, man. It's, I'm sure like, it's a real when, fucking when, slumber when, party. When I'm in, in yo, when I'm, I've been in a beauty salon, I've been in a barbershop, and beauty salons, hands down, are the worst. Yeah, my man. Yeah, the absolute worst. The barbershop, you can learn a lot in a barbershop. My man Chris used to cut in a barbershop or in a beauty shop. So, you know, it was mainly Dominican women, though. So they'd be in there in a different language gossiping. <laughs> mm-hmm. But you could still tell. Tell, right. You know. God, what they don't realize, and I had this debate with somebody some quite quite a few years ago when I said, when you're in a group of men, like women, we always talk about men gossip worse than the women. No, we don't. you have men who are who gossip like bitches. And, they, and, and that's a term for a reason. Yeah. You know what I mean? Because... In the company of other men, when you're going to a barbershop, when you're in a company of men, if you have a guy that's always carrying tales or always carrying gossip that serves no purpose to what we're talking about, yeah, that motherfucker isn't welcomed in a group of men. Because even amongst us, we go, that guy talks like a bitch. Yes, he gossips and, and, like a and bitch. it kind of becomes the joke. Right. He's not respected in that group. So that's one thing women don't understand. Because you allow him in your circle... Don't mean he's a, he's allowed or welcomed in ours. Even yes. if, even if he hangs with us, we all know we're not talking about certain shit around that guy. Right. You know what I'm saying? Because he talks like a bitch. We all say like, "Yo, so and so, you talk like a bitch, man." Like, yeah. You got watch you got what you say around that motherfucker. What did Dane Dash say? Chatty Patty. Right. It's like guys, hey, man. Yeah, that guy is not welcomed in our group. Usually, That's like, like uh, barbershops, you learn a lot Sopranos. of shit in barbershops. When uh Uncle Junior, did you, yeah. did you, did you catch that? Nah, he, I, I don't. I didn't told you. I didn't really watch The Sopranos. Ah, he went down on the girl, and mm-hmm. the girl went and told the beauty shop, and then it come back to Tony through his wife, mm. and then Tony kind of put it out there as a joke. But mm-hmm. Uncle Junior was seriously mad about that shit, and he was supposed to be the boss at the time, and mm. it wound up leading up to him having Tony shot and everything, and it was just like, oh man, and she just didn't let that cat out the bag. Right. But uh yo, we're gonna tag uh Jamie Robinson. Jamie. Yeah. Right. So we're gonna sign off and I'm gonna pop us back on. Hey, what's up, Jamie? What's good, brother man? How are you? Ah, I'm good, man. Saturday, just kind of waking up, having some coffee. How about you just you? waking up. <laughs> hey, yeah, man. You know, I ain't got no kids or nothing, so right, right. It's just you. <laughs> I got you. Just on some bachelor man type shit over here. There's no wrong with that. I ain't I mad you. at you. I know you got a few juniors there. There go Ibrahim popping in. What up, Ibrahim? All right. What up, brother Jamie? Assalamu alaikum. Waikum salam. All right, my man. <laughs> nah, I was just explaining to him. He said, just waking up. I said, yeah, I'm a bachelor over here. No kids. So shit. I know you and Ibrahim can relate because y'all probably got to get up Saturday and get moving. Well, that's that's just a natural. That's just how I work, man. Yeah. Get nothing done. At, if I'm up at 6, 30, 7 o'clock, man. Army hours. That's crazy. Mm, yeah. mm, damn, yeah. Yeah, that, yeah, that's wild. I ain't getting up at no damn 6.30. Yeah. <laughs> Not on no Saturday. 6.30, 7 o'clock, man. I was out here making it work. But yeah. it is what it is. You know, so I rest around like 7.30, 8 o'clock. Be good for the rest of the night. 
Oh, okay. You're on the senior citizen hours. <laughs> More than not- adjustment of 44 and above hours. That's what I'm talking about. Okay, okay. <laughs> so 40 ain't the new 30. Yeah. Man, you know 40 ain't the new 30 when motherfuckers start falling asleep anywhere in public. Yeah, man. <laughs> that's, that's, just, that's just real, bro. <laughs> That's just crazy, man. It's like I'm 38. Eight. I, I see. I feel it already. I'm starting to feel it. How many children do you have? Oh God, nigga. I I, I wasn't prepared to do math, but I got <laughs> I got <laughs> I got four. I got you four. Should, <laughs> he said to do math. That's not, yeah, just don't ask me their ages, my nigga. Um, <laughs> I got four sons and two stepdaughters. Wow, that's great. Two yeah. stepdaughters. How about you, Jamie? What you what you working with over there? I got two children and one on the way. I got wow. a boy and a girl. One on the way. Awesome. Yeah. Man, forty four. Man, you waited to forty after forty 44. to have a forty four to have another one? Yeah, man. man. Well well, you know, this is my second wife, Nikki. So okay. she doesn't have any children. Okay, okay, and, okay. Uh, that makes sense know, then. The pandemic just worked out in a way that uh you know <laughs> You couldn't run. Might as well. You couldn't run. <laughs> we here now. Yeah, right? We blamed it on the pandemic. He said, look, the store was closed. I ain't want to go in there and get them rubbers. Right. Just, exactly. just did like, what I did. It was the convenience of the convenience store not being open. That's what happened. <laughs> All right. So I'm going to ask y'all this question. It's a little bit of a dumb question, but this is, this is coming from a guy with no kids. Oh, shit. It must be hard to get pregnant, right? And the reason I say that is... I'm not safe, and I'm also not the smartest motherfucker. So I know if I made it to 34 with no kids, mm-hmm. you got to be trying, right? No, no, no. You got to, no, you got to go get your prostate checked. <laughs> you got to make sure. You got to make sure. Tell you to go get a checkup. Yo, I have had that make, thought yeah, lately yeah, of just yeah, like just better go shit make sure work? you ain't. Yeah, you gotta make sure your swimmers are still yeah, in, in man, I, up. I, I had that thought lately of yo, like, yo, maybe my shit ain't working because I yo, know I ain't. Phil walking around with a cap gun, Jamie. He need to get that shit <laughs> checked out. All the swimmers, swimmers ain't swimming. Swimmers ain't swimming. Hey, they, hey, they can they can use your ass in a Hollywood thriller. <laughs> <laughs> Everybody safe on set. Hey, bring in, bring in Phil. Where bring gun. Phil in with the fake gun? That's it. Yeah, man. I, that's just that's just been having me. Scratching my head. You like, better, yeah. Just... Go, go get checked. Make sure your prostate right, bro. Because yeah, trust yeah, me. that's just off of some some grown man shit. You need to really yeah. just make sure that you're, you know, you're in the in the health that you need to be in. We yeah. take that for granted. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Nah, that's facts. I've always felt like you know, if the dick is getting, if it's working, then we all right. Nah, not that necessarily. Only life, nigga. What do you mean? <laughs> go get everything. Go get everything that. checked. Dude. I'm yeah, headed man. towards make forty sure now. Yo, though, make so sure I your prostate, make sure your kidneys, all that shit, right, bro. You do need yeah, to start sure checking in. Oh, Real yeah. talk, we've lost a lot of you know comedians, not just from COVID, but I mean from health reasons. You mm-hmm, know, people mm-hmm. are not taking it serious and they're not uh, taking the time to actually go to a doctor to go to get checked you out. know who we was having a conversation about the other day and everybody brings up patrice but me and nico we was having a conversation about and actually it was at uh old man richie's funeral uh richie tinkin over at the comic strip that we lost you mm-hmm. know a few mm-hmm. weeks ago we was talking about todd lynn yeah todd lynn yeah i remember that, todd man. lynn and see, yeah, I remember him from comic view and stuff, but obviously he passed before I moved to the city. Uh, Jamie, yeah, did you ever meet Todd? Yeah, Todd. <laughs> did I ever meet Todd? Yeah, man. Todd was a good dude, man, to some, and he was an asshole to many. Yeah, so, that's uh... what Miko was kind of saying. He was like, yo, 
if you think Patrice was bad, you ain't never bumped into Todd Lynn. Yeah, I heard well, stories about Todd Lynn, yeah. Yeah, well, Todd, let me tell you something, man. Todd is like sweet and sour, man. Because, uh, you know, he knew who, who he could piss off. And he could piss off just anybody. <laughs> but if, if, you really, if he really rocked with you, he was giving you some advice that he felt that you needed. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's like it's like a coach. A coach is gonna work with you if he sees you have potential. But if you don't have potential, he's just gonna skip over you and go to the next next kid. You know what I mean? Yeah, maybe that skipping over can get you fired up. Right, yeah. and not even to skip. Well, he'll skip over you and talk shit. Like, man, get out of the way. You're in the fucking way. You know? Right. I mean? Either do this or get the fuck out of here. Yeah, so, that's just, a, a little bit of tough love. Let me tell you. Let me tell you how real Todd Lynn. I used to book um, Rick Younger on my show. Every time I used to book Rick Younger. I knew Todd was coming because they used to do a show together, right? Okay. So Todd called me one one Sunday. He was like, yo, uh, you got some room for me uh, tonight? And I was like, yeah, man, I may have some room. He's like, who's on the lineup? And this guy went through my lineup with a fine-tooth comb. And this guy's not funny. You going to tell me you giving him? You giving him minutes I should have? Come on, man. What the f- Come on. Yo, I'll be there at 830. You know, that's the type of yeah. that's the kind of guy he was. And I uh-huh. and I had no I couldn't do anything else but laugh. I was like, yo, man, he's a newer comic. You know we gotta give fuck that. He's wasting time. What is he doing? You know, <laughs> you know but he was a good dude, man. He was a good dude to some and he was an asshole do, to many. Do that's you think Jamie, do you think that we kinda need a little bit of that edge? Yeah, hell yeah. Now you, you need I, somebody you we have been we've been giving out participation awards in comedy for two fucking years. <laughs> you bring like, the yo, heat. You're not funny. You're I not think, funny, yo, man. man you got to work on your craft. Yes. So I I'll say, and I always felt like Jamie, which Jamie, you know, doubles comic and a booker. Obviously, you book. What was it? Uh, damn. Sunday Night Live. Sunday it's Night been Live. so long now. Yeah, like, man. we've been out of comedy that I'm like, what? What was it now? <laughs> Sound like an yeah. old ass man over here. Yeah, so you definitely need to go get a check. <laughs> yeah, but Your memory going too. Oh man, and, a, and, a, and you gave me a lot of my first chances on stage <laughs> in, in a club. So <laughs> yeah, I, I think you That's always what we did supposed a good, to do though, Phil. You what did a good job of mixing up, you know, the veterans with the young guys, and that's very real of Todd Lynn to say that. And even myself, I remember I had an experience. Uh, how do we say this in short? I, I had some issues with the uh, knitting factory guys back when it was the guys booking it, the oh, three. Yeah. And I just went ahead and flat out put it on Facebook. I'm like, look, one of them kept telling me when he would see me, yeah, I'm going to get you up. And then I would hit him up and he'd act like it wasn't him booking and, oh, send me a tape. And when when I see the tape, you better be killing. And so I think he had said particularly to me, send me a dope tape. Whoa. And when I read it, I just kept zeroing in on dope. And you think, as opposed to what, motherfucker? Right. <laughs> right. And then you start getting in your feelings a little bit even, because you go, and even if the shit was dope, how would you even know? I don't think you got a dope tape. Right. So right. anyway, now the mistake I made, which I don't know where I was in my feelings, but I just went ahead and put the whole conversation on Facebook now. Everybody blowing my phone up. Hey, man, what the hell are you doing? Because, you know, being within comedy, and I explained this to Ibrahim a little, is a lot like being in the mob and a made man of certain, like, you almost got to get permission to say or do certain stuff publicly. That is true to a certain extent. You're absolutely right. But I remember because I was you don't feeling... Be shamed. You don't, you don't want to be shamed and you don't want to be shunned. 
You know what I mean? Right. Like, and, you, and, you, and you know. What are you doing? You can't do that. You can't speak against the the The, the, the order. Yeah. <laughs> and you know, this is one person is like this in an entire team, you know? Right. Yeah. But for that, for, the, for that particular reason, what you're speaking on is the reason why I started Sunday Night Live. Because mm. I got tired of asking niggas for stage time and, and niggas who weren't funnier. I, I should stop saying niggas. People who weren't funnier than me was denying me stage time. Mm. And I'm like, yo, man, I don't even know why I'm asking you for your stage time. Because your stage ain't even that hot. I just need to work out material. So I was like, you know mm. what? Mm-hmm. Let me create my own, put my own people on. And, you know, I created something I believe, you know, stood the test of time. You know, it's... It and it reciprocates itself, right? Right, like, man. People right. then start, you know, asking you to get on their show, you know, right. because they know One they can get on your other. show. Yeah. One hand washes the other, especially in this comedy business. You need more than one stage to perform. And if you got a dope room, people are going to come find you. Uh-huh. And it, it's, man, the, the way I looked at that whole knitting factory, there was a gatekeeper there that just didn't want other people to shine as much. And that's yeah. how I looked at it. And I was like, you know what? I got my own platform. And Let from what, what it was, and I, I know you OG status, so you probably remember when Hannibal had it. Right. And he was very much mixing in, you know, let me get some of the Brooklyn Hood comics with some of the city, with some of the white alt comics and all right. that. Right. He gave so, you a taste of everything. Because where that club was located, is located rather, you know, it's a melting pot. So you right. gotta you got to play to every audience. And you mm. felt like he was more of mixing in just one style. Right. And I remember when I had said the shit, obviously comics hit my phone to say like, yo, man, that ain't right. You got to take that down. Da, 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 da. And I'm thinking like, yo, man, I'm, I'm busting my ass to live in this city and paying a thousand dollar rent. And I go out there and it's a bunch of people, you know, from L.A. and from Chicago. And obviously we ain't going to complain about, you know, the Bill Burrs and the uh, people who are on. But then this is a motherfucker that ain't nobody came to see him. Right. <laughs> and I'm I'm here every weekend standing here. So how am I not supposed to feel? And I've always well, felt you like, all, you know, when people you say don't take it personal, it's like, what well, is shit happening to me? Yeah, you, you always you're you always gonna have niggas that's gonna take up for management. And no yes. matter what, no matter what, because they hope to be chosen by them too. So they yeah, figure they're, by they're them the speaking who... up against you for them. They're gonna be loyal soldiers, hoping that they can get close enough to kiss the ring. Right. So it's like all oh, weird. But I I remember one person, and I'll say his name. Well, I ain't gonna say his name because I don't want to incriminate him in my shit. But he found me after because, and he was just like, "Dude, listen, there's a side of comedy that is just too fucking nice." Mm-hmm. And he was like, "You know what you did was yeah, hell yeah." <laughs> Of like at a certain point, you know, there, there needs to be more calling people out, like you said, participation trophies. Although I think where I made the mistake was, you know, if we start calling each other out, then that shit never ends. You know, finger when you point a finger, two point back at you. Correct. So yeah. it's like, like Jamie said, hey, motherfuckers, start your own show. But that, but yeah. that, but that also would build accountability and make a motherfucker and it'll weed out. Like, look, if you really want to do this, you're gonna get better. Like, one of the great stories I always heard, and Jamie probably can test this, because like you say, he's an OG in the New York comedy scene, is that, but like, when I was younger, I was afraid to become a comic because of that fear of accountability. You know what I'm saying? Like, yo, you mm. had to be funny. 
better be. It's a way of protecting the business. Like I told you, I, I listen to like wrestling podcasts and wrestling and comedy is very, they run parallel. And they used to talk about some of the shit they used to put people through who said they wanted to become wrestlers. They used to put like them, haze, right? They used to haze them, but they used to yeah. like put them through like almost like shoot fights, as they call them, where like you feel like you really in a in a, in a real fight with this guy. Yeah. And then they would take them through all those different exercises and try to make them puke and try to get them to quit. He said that when right. a person gets through all of that and they show you they're not quitting, that's when they used to bring them in and go, "All right, this is a work. This is how this goes." And they go, oh, right. this is this is all, yeah, this is all scripted. But they're not gonna let any just anybody in off the street know that it's scripted. They're gonna put you through hell first before you get to this point and go, okay, now I know how this is supposed to go. And, and you, still gotta, comes, you still gotta understand those guys are in incredible shape. Right. You know, even though it's scripted, those guys are in incredible shape to right. do all that. And they have to work safe with each other and so on and so forth. So it's the same thing like with stand-up. It's like you have the OGs of Jamie Roberts and Dave Lester, or like you said, a Todd Lynn or whatever. Who, if I was brand new or you brand new on the scene, they're gonna fucking like they have the stories of Patrice. They're gonna ream you the fuck out. But at the same time, it's gonna be like, all right, I need to get better so I can get these motherfuckers off my ass. Right. Yeah. And you get right. better, and it's like, all right, cool. Well, the show improve, and it's just like I don't know. I guess where just I was sink or swim, from, brother, sink or swim. Where That's I was what it coming is. from was more of a place of like, well, how much is too much? Or like, you know, again. If you're going to put a motherfucker up from Chicago and granted, when it was Hannibal's show, that's what he would do. Because, you know, he that's built that shit. Right. But there was a little bit of entitlement on my part. Well, you don't get to pick the lineups of other people's shows. That's, that's not how this shit works. Right. But there is also a level of, hey, come the fuck on now. How many days <laughs> I'm going to come out here? How many days I'm going to come out here and you're going to put up this guy from L.A., this guy from Wisconsin, you know, yeah, my whole shit. I used to tell people, yo, if it, I used to tell people, and they'll tell you, send your avails, fam, send your avails. <laughs> and and they never send their avails, they would just show up. I'm like, yo, you gotta follow instructions. I sent mine, the show's booked, right? <laughs> I, you I got sent booked, mine, right? Jamie. <laughs> yeah. His show ended though, by the time he had ended the show though. <laughs> I can, I met him. I met you at Broadway. At Broadway Comedy Broadway Club. Comedy Club. And he yep. said, he said, send your veils. And I sent it, and like a week or two later, it was over. <laughs> yeah, man. I, I, I was, was like, damn. When I ended, man. He didn't want to hand out no participation trophies to you. No, no, no. It wasn't even that. Nah, Jamie would have got you. That's why one thing I always appreciated about him. You know, it might take him a while, but it's just like, yo. It's 400 comics in the city, and yeah. you know, you might only have seven spots a week or so. So, yeah, some of those shows we have to get in and out, you know what I mean? But, yeah, you know, the what, beauty of comedy, man, is that there's always going to be another show. What made you end it? What made you end the, end the show? Well, with if your mommy asking, yeah, with Broadway Comedy Club, it came to a point where, um, Mr. Al Martin believed that you know the show wasn't, it, it wasn't necessary, they can do it on their own. Hmm. So, hmm. you know, wh- how I view that is that, hey, man, we can make this money without you. you right, I mean? right, right, right. You, you know, thank you for what you've been doing. You know, the street team is doing most of the work stacking the the actual um, the audience in, which they did. They, do a, they did a great job. The street team is right there in Times Square. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, your lineups weren't Sunday Night Live lineups. You know what I mean? So, you mm. know, the thing about comedy, and that's the other thing, is that, like the the comedy itself in New York City, there's so many comedians, but you gotta have you gotta have a diverse, funny lineup. The key word is funny. 
Right. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Because people are coming to laugh. And a lot of these are diverse, but no, not funny. Not, not funny. funny. You know what yeah. I mean? So, yeah. So, when the, the, the beauty of Sunday Night Live is that, you know, you would have someone from The Tonight Show, you would have somebody from Comic View, whatever, mm-hmm. and then you have a newer person who is just trying to earn their stripes to get in. So, there was a, a good mixture, mixture of it. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Which Even is what New York City is. It, it wasn't a black show. You right, know what I mean? right. And, you know, it was a dope-ass show because people would just drop in because they heard of how good the show was. Mm-hmm. But, you know, when they told me that, you know, he, he gave me what? He, he was like, hey, man, we're going to do this, go in this direction. i like, well, just give me like two or three weeks so I don't, I could, you know, finish. Finish, finish up what you felt like you were starting. Yeah. Right. And, you know, you know more, more power to him. I, you know, and you were, you, at, Martin, and you were at New York, York Comedy Club, Club before that. That's where it started. It yeah. started at New York Comedy Club. I called Al Martin one day. I was like, yo, man, I want to do a show on a Sunday. And he's like, how many people you could think you get in? That was always his question. <laughs> Which, you know, I've always, and I mean, you can say how you feel about this. I've always wondered. I always felt like doing a show at a club was was not necessarily a good thing to do. Because I've seen people ruin relationships with clubs by doing that. And I've always felt like if you're going to do a show, then do it, you know, at a bar or somewhere else at a theater, which I've even seen you do some of those with like the, uh, the black, uh, the black, black, black theater uptown. Yeah. That's just as dope. Yeah. And well, why do you think you can keep all the money and you ain't got to deal with the politics? What, what do you, why do you think it ruined a relationship? You're still dealing with management. You're still dealing with ownership. Right. But I've seen, you know, within comedy, a lot of times you want to come back to a club and still be able to get spots and, you know, or, 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 I, I think the relationship I seen ruined was because basically the dude started to bring her with the club and then wasn't bringing nobody to where him and the owner kind of fell out. Okay, well, that's the relationship. You got to you gotta understand this business. There's, there's the business side of the comedy as well. And if you're not upholding your side of business, then, you know, you're ruining the mm-hmm. relationship. Mm-hmm. Right. You get what I'm saying? So, you know, to produce the show, you you're just saying yeah I got a show yeah that's what's up that's great but you got to book that show and you got to promote that show mm-hmm. and you got to get people into that show and the owner the the whatever of the establishment the manager they're looking at the numbers at the end of the night right they don't care how how many new dick jokes you told on stage they want to know how many people bought two drinks mm-hmm. how many people came in and bought some pizza or whatever they're selling and then that's what they're judging you of but I've yeah. but I've also seen I've also seen where the booker or the owner of the club becomes kind of jealous even if you do outperform what they expect of you. Because like say for instance they they're making money as Jamie pointed out, right? But your show is outperforming any show that they ever have at that club. And I've right. seen that ruin a I've seen it ruin a relationship that way too. Or they get jealous. They get jealous. They get well, jealous. I remember you gotta remove your you gotta remove your feelings. This is business. You know Oh what yeah, I, mean? I agree, but the, the owner of the club was on some other shit. That's stupidness. <laughs> Real dumb. I remember stupid. I told I, I don't know if I told Phil this story, but I was at a club in Jersey, uh Comedy Cove. That's why I, one of the first places I cut my teeth, right? Comedy and, uh, Cove. Wow. Scotty used to do a show over there. Yeah, Scotty's yeah. right. Yep. And um the owner, he's real you know, a, a comic I know, uh through a he brought a show there, black dude. And Seymour. he had this month, not Seymour, not Seymour. No, no it wasn't uh-huh. Seymour. It was my boy, Rady G. So he okay. threw a show there, and he would have that motherfucker packed. He had that motherfucker packed to the brim. I'm talking about there was nowhere to park in the parking lot. Nowhere, right? These motherfuckers 
would turn the they turned the air off. We're in the dead of summer. He turned what? the air off, bro. Talking about oh the, the AC is broken. The AC ain't fucking broke. We here every every Wednesday and a couple of nights a week. That AC ain't broke. But you got a bunch of black <laughs> folks in there. They making money oh, hand over man. fish. Yeah, that's bad business, he man. turned the air off in there. Eventually, he said, "Because uh, I asked, you know, rated, uh, I read, I, I read it, uh, asked G for a spot." And he said, "Man, I gotta get out of here." He said, "Because the, the, you know, the, the air ain't, the air conditioning ain't working." And you know, he said, "I think this motherfucker trying to get us out of here." You got a that's bunch of black crazy. people in there laughing, buying drinks, buying more food, and then he yeah, wants to get everybody. But you know that spot. I mean, you're familiar with it. The rest of the week, Phil. No fucking body in that place. Right. The most is ever is ever packed is on an open mic night on a Wednesday, and and when Rated G or any other black promoter would do a show there. Well, that just lets you know, man. They don't want to work with you, and that's that. Yep. You got to understand that. Like, you yeah. Or where you're welcomed, or where you're wanted. Time to pack it up and move on. Yeah. Yep. Especially if he's built a brand, take the brand somewhere else. But yeah. see, that's what I was saying to where every time I've seen that and I mean obviously I think yours is probably the best show that I've ever seen produced at clubs and I'm not just saying that it's evidenced by the amount of time you were able to do the show but I'm saying everybody else I've seen do shows in clubs has been short lived and I always felt like well you should be making more money if you just do this at a bar <laughs> nah man nah the beauty of producing a comedy cl- show at a comedy club is that People are coming to the comedy club if you're there or not, because mm-hmm. they know comedy is going to be there. Mm-hmm. When you produce a show at a bar in the back of Bushwick, Brooklyn, people just stumble across the shit. Oh, and then now you're inhibiting their space. Ah, oh, we usually come here on Tuesdays. Mm-hmm. Now you got these niggas telling jokes in here. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Now, <laughs> yeah, you feel what I'm saying? And there's well, a lot to compete with, and then right. they go, so, "Motherfucker, the game is on." Shut right, the fuck up. right. So the beauty of being at a comedy club, and people don't get that, is that even if you're promoting the hell out of it, people are still going in Google, finding somewhere to go this weekend or tomorrow night. And guess what? That club may just pop up, and now you have two more audience members that you didn't have to beg to come in. And I will say, for um, for the purpose of competition, that I've always explained to people, like, listen, that standard of laughter for a free bar show is so damn low because <laughs> the people just came in. They haven't invested anything in it. Nothing. Absolutely nothing. And they just happen to go, well, comedy jokes are being told. Okay, good. And that and you can got, go either no, way. You got to hope they say good. Yeah, you, you got to win hope. them over. You got to win them over. Yeah, you gotta hope and pray they say but, and, going on. All right, and, and see so okay yeah I would think even to separate the black bar show from the oh man we gonna do that white one because I feel like the white one they just like yo we just here drinking two dollar PBRs it happened to be somebody telling jokes cool they're almost laughing at anything and then you come over to our side and it's more like <laughs> niggas, niggas is saying nigga we came here to catch up we, right. we, we don't really give a fuck what you talking about so then it's almost harder because they're yeah. not paying you no attention or well, don't see, even and really that, that, see that goes on that that also happens because the the establishment itself has not told their patrons what's going on right so it's like a surprise you sprung it on them you yeah know? ambush comedy shows right and i had that happen at 95 south like you know this, this lady was celebrating out she was just married to some shit right mm-hmm. and a promotion i forgot what it was and we was playing the music and everything. I was making an announcement. Comedy show starts at five minutes. Five minutes. 
We cut the music, and these chicks went bananas on. Put the yeah. fucking music back on. Put the music. Like, yo, ma, we do this every week. What's wrong with you? We <laughs> right, right, come right. here for this shit. And I was like, yo, I ain't come here for this shit. You know? Man. So it went back and forth for like two minutes. Now I'm like, yo, man, this is not what it's about. We here to have a good time. Uh-huh. And, you know, it just let me know, like, yo, y'all, y'all got to tell people when they come through the door what the hell is going on here. I think uh, you, you set me up looking either, like a damn jackass out here. Either, either Robin Harris or Bernie Mac, and I can't remember which one was talking about doing shows in nightclubs. And one of them said, when the music stops, your ass is dead. Or like, <laughs> you want to be before the music stops. Right, right, you don't want to be after it. Right. Or in the middle of it, they got to stop music and let you come up and tell jokes. Yo, right. Yeah. Right. yeah clear the dance floor. We know your favorite songs on, but clear the dance floor. Yo, that's one of the hardest things about doing stand up up there. Mingles. Mingles oh, is like man. that. Mingles is like that music be going for like three hours. Then all of a sudden, stand up on that little ass stage. That stage might as well have been, you know, like, yeah. It's a, you know, like when they used to hang motherfuckers in front of people. <laughs> oh no! <laughs> like that hangman stool. That's what that stage might as well be. They might as well put a trap door right there because that shit is a setup, like you said, man. But you're there, you know. It, but it makes you better, though. It's like, you, who the you fuck are you to interrupt Luther? Word right, right. Yeah. Why do Why do people believe like that makes you better? I mean, I think like, it does. It, I mean, in my level where I'm at. Well, let, let, listen to this, though, man. You're saying, like, you, you're you not, you're telling com, you, you're telling jokes, right? We're mm-hmm. not participating in the Super Bowl that you got to do two-a-days to, to get through. <laughs> you know what I mean? So it's like, yo, you got to go to Mingles. You got to go to, what's my, my footprint? You got to go to all Oh, Essence. I go to footprints, too. I you got to go, go through all this hazing just to tell a joke? Come on, man. <laughs> yeah. I think, oh, yeah, that's... Be, I think it may be better. I think going to all those places kind of like makes it traumatizes you, of course. Well, that, but it if that's you, my point. That's but it, my... but it makes you, but it may be better that it may be like I had to take this shit serious. Like, all right, I got to get to this funny a lot faster. I ain't got time right. to be up there waxing poetic. I got to right. get to my shit quicker. I got to learn how to deal with unruly people. I got to be Is quick, there a better you know? way, though, my man? Is there, is there a better way I than went... doing it than throwing your ass in the fire and to see me... if you come out smoking enough? Well, is to there me, a better way? I don't think so. I mean, the, the I went to where I was, to what was available to me. Right. You get what I'm saying? Because if I'm not getting booked in the mainstream rooms, or if I'm getting not getting stage time in the places I'm trying to go, like you always mentioned earlier, Knitting Factory or whatever, I'm going to go where I'm going to get the stage time. And if the right. stage time is those places, not, not, only, not only am I able to get whatever jokes I want to say, I get the stage time. And usually in those places, you get longer stage time right. if you get as you get better. Right. But I'll also get the experience of dealing with the environment. That way, if I go and do a club, a, 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 a comedy club spot, man, that shit's a breeze compared to what I've been used to dealing with. You know, And that's the why I always say the advantage of comedy clubs is at least everyone here is here under the agreement that we came to see comedy. Right. Not everybody, but yeah, most of the time, yes. Most, most, <laughs> not, not everybody. Not everybody. Most of the time, yes. You're absolutely right. But yeah. And, then, to- but, and, and I do think that raises the bar a little. But what I think Ibrahim is describing is the ambush comedy at just a random bar. And it's like, yeah, that bar is even a little higher because it's, it's like, not even, no, it's they don't want to see ambush comedy because these people know every Wednesday we're at Essence. And oh, okay. Every yeah, yeah. Act like, yo, what's going on? It's the same shit that happened last Wednesday. What do you mean, what's going on? But I've definitely <laughs> been at Mocha's and, and somebody oh, went, man. what? 
jokes. Yeah, oh, yeah. But they they must have just got to Harlem. They must have just moved <laughs> I seen a I seen a comedian. I seen a dude in the crowd told him I don't do jokes and swung the mic stand at the comedian what? and then what the fuck. But he yeah. he stopped just before like obviously hitting him and sat it down and then just left. It was weird. Yeah, <laughs> yo, I walked my boy into Essence, right? I told I had been telling about Essence for a while, right? So I said, yo, I'm up Wednesday, we're gonna connect and you know, got you know, comic from Jersey, whatever. Now he's done comedy in New York City, but he had he was trying to get back, you know, in the swing of things. So I brought him by Essence. Bro, as soon as we walk through the door, there's a there's a there's a patron on stage heckling the comic face to face. You gotta be kidding me. <laughs> you gotta I be said, kidding yo, that's me. that's unbelievable, bro. The dude just the dude just put the mic down and left. Yeah, man. That you oh, see wow. And the thing about it is, and and <laughs> I've been I've been in some situations it's just like it just doesn't make sense. You know what I mean? Right, right. Um, but it also comes back to the host of the show. Mm. So the host of the show, you know what I mean, has to set the stage. That these people understand. Listen, you may be here catching up with your man who just got home, but we're getting ready to tell jokes. You know what I mean? Right, 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 right. Everyone feel comfortable. Everyone understand what is going on so someone is not clueless. And so shit like that doesn't happen. You know what I mean? Like, yo, what's going on? I'm here to do comedy, not combat. You know what I mean? What is going on? (laughs) Same first three letters. Right. And it's ugly because now... You know that's the that's the that's the aura your room has. Oh, you don't want to go there. You gotta fight, right? Gotta fight, yeah. you know? Like who wants to perform like I, that? I, but I like I don't know, man. I like that shit. I like oh, it because man, you're it addicted, makes me... man. You're addicted no, to the abuse, thing, man. No, I the can't. thing is, no, <laughs> no, you know what it is. I love, especially with the black audience. What I love about us, man, is that they they make you have to dig deeper oh, for yeah, your shit. For you sure. know what I'm saying? So it's like it's not even that. Just on the fact that you tell a joke and it doesn't get a laugh, it's even if you present a uh, if you present a perspective that's different than what the norm is. Now it's not enough for you to say that. Now I have to win you guys over and make you see it from my side. So yeah. I remember I said a bit, and a guy challenged me on. It. I'm talking about I have it on tape. He like, man, fuck that, that's bullshit. That's bullshit. I said it's not, it's not. And we went back and forth, bro. When I they the whole room was against me. When I hit him with the punchline. He said, oh, shit, my nigga, I see exactly where you coming from. Like, <laughs> and I got a fucking, like, pretty much like an arousing, like, I completely flipped the room. And that well, was it's a lot like Black Church my to where the audience is actually a part of the show. Right. Whereas you feel a lot more like <laughs> in clubs, it's more like theater where the audience is just observing and appreciating. They're either Tap enjoying dance, it nigga. or not. Tap dance. And uh, <laughs> I, I equate that to, to National Black Theater. <laughs> <laughs> National Black Theater, man, no shows. Oh, my God. I've seen people do great. I've seen people crash and burn. But it's just on that perspective because the people who attend the show, they are the show. They believe a part of the show. They're a part of the show. Yeah. You know what I mean? And they want to make sure you're either going to be funny or you're either going to get the hell out of here as soon as possible. <laughs> I, ain't wait, I ain't wasted my money or this good outfit. Right, <laughs> and these nutcrackers are kicking in, so you better hurry. Word up, <laughs> not the nutcrackers. Oh the nutcrackers, man! Yeah. All right, yeah. so uh, Jamie, how, how long have you been doing comedy, and where did you start? Oh shit, man. I, I I started in two thousand one. Um, oh, twenty years. Yeah, nice. two thousand one October. Okay, um, and it was 
after 9-11, I was like, yo, let me go ahead and try this shit before the world ends. And, uh, <clears throat> and I started at Stand Up New York. I entered a contest to be the funniest person from New York. I mean, from uh, Long Island. Who got an it echo was a bringer show. I didn't know it was a bringer. I didn't know what a bringer show was until I started doing bringer shows. Or um, I won the contest. So I started doing stand-up New York a lot, and then I noticed that, you know, it came to a point where if you didn't have five people, you couldn't get on stage. Ah. And then the mm. guy who told me that was a fun, uh, unfunny white fat dude. I forgot his name. <laughs> and um, I had three people at the time, right? Listen to this story. I had three people who paid to come in to see me. So I went and asked him, yo, when am I up on the lineup? He looked at me, short, fat guy. I'm 6'3". He looked at me and was like, when your other two people get here, that's when I'll talk. To I, you. I had the same experience. Nigga, at the same, at the I, same I club. Blew my top. Yo, I said, what? Yeah, when, that's crazy. When the other two people get here, then I'll talk to you. And he turned his back as, into carries a conversation or with the other guys at the bar. So yeah. I was like, yo, you know what? I called my brother, his wife, my man Velaz. I was like, yo, we out of here, man. He's like, what's going on? I was like, yo, fuck this club, man. We ain't doing this shit. Nah, dude telling me, and he was like, what? He's, he, he was like, what? You leaving? You leaving? I said, like, yeah, I'm leaving, man. I'm not doing this shit. Yeah. Well, you'll never do this club. you never work this club again. I was like, whatever, man. I'm out of here. Right. And the next show I got on was a Ray DeJean show downtown Manhattan, and I bombed like hell down there because mm. I didn't know what the hell I was doing. You mm. know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I wasn't exposed to a comedy Environment. A comedy uh, show, not in a comedy club. Right. So that whole atmosphere threw me the fuck off. And I was like, what the hell is this? You it's know it's very I mean? much like playing, you know, street ball, where it's right. like, right, <clears throat> ain't right. no streams, exactly. ain't no plays. You just got to get out here and get it how you live. Right. And ain't nobody calling fouls. You call a foul, you got it. You calling fouls? You know yeah, I mean? niggas is carrying. you like, yeah. that's such and such a joke. And they're like, well, who's what? here Traveling. to tell them that what? it ain't? Come on, man. <laughs> You know what I mean? So that kind of that kind of threw me off, but uh, it also made me stronger. You know what I mean? Like to what you guys were saying, I, I noticed I was being carried in comedy and not really being prepared and not not really putting in the work for comedy. Right. So after I did that, I did Boston Comedy Club, and that taught me. I was doing. Uh, I did Sunday night New Jack section. The talent um, show. Talent was there. Um, talent hosted it. I bombed in front of, uh, I don't know if you heard this story before. I bombed in front of Dame Dash, Memph Bleak. The Rock was in the building. Oh, right? man. Oh, man. Right? Damn. I bombed. I mean, bombed. Like, <sighs> chirps. Birds chirping, crickets, whatever, right? So, talent gets on stage, rips me a new asshole for five minutes, <laughs> right? Comes off stage, he daps me up. He's like, yo, come back next week, man. We're going to try to make this shit work for you. And, and see, that's, that's the, the really shit. that it, it, it wasn't him, him ripping you wasn't personal. No, he's, he he's just to getting the show back. Yeah, he had to do and it. He had to do it. And I didn't understand it. I was like, yo, man, it's fucking, you know, because Ray Dijon did the same shit two weeks prior. And I was like, yeah. yo, fuck it. I tried to go back on stage and rip him. And, and they're like, nah, nigga, get out of here with your tight ass Timberlands. Your Timberlands <laughs> look, you know, they was killing me, man. Right. And sometimes comics take that personal, but it's like, as a host, you got to do it. I have to acknowledge what's happening. Right, right. right. And if I don't, that's the elephant in the room. Right. Right now, I ain't saying you got to do 25 minutes, yeah. But he he did a good six or seven minutes, yeah. You want to do good suicide? Six, if I if I ain't have my if I have my life together, I would win played in traffic. That's what I'm saying. It was was some real, 
So yo, and it was funny though. And yeah. you know when a nigga ripping you and you gotta laugh because you got that, it's so funny. You, yo, you you got that little pain in your throat where you yeah. wanna cry, but just also. But you funny. gotta laugh. <laughs> you gotta yeah, yeah. laugh. Mouth always yeah, gets man. dry. That little crust appears <laughs> in the corner of your lips. Yeah, I took the L I double R home that night, hurt. I was like, yo, man. Never again. I told myself, never again will I allow this shit to happen. And mm. I went home and, and started working out, man. Started writing more comedy. Started getting more understanding of what setup, punchline, you know, all that. You know, premise. Yeah. How to work out a premise. And what really helped me as far as comedy was is just just being in a student of comedy. You know what I mean? Like, you got to really sit back and study the game before you want to get in. Because mm. if you don't, who, you get in too early and you you know you fumbling the ball or you double dribbling. Who are you, you studying and who really made you want to get in? Oh man, I, I studied prior, but what any show that I do right now before I host a big show, I watch DL Hughley's um, Kings of Comedy. Yeah, that's now, a good one. Now DL, you know I I've met him and I've worked with him a couple times. Uh, DL's setup and punch throughout that first fourteen minutes that he does is yeah. untouchable. You know what I mean? Uh-huh, uh-huh. He gets in and he gets out. He gets in and he gets out. He gets in and he gets out. If you even watch it, they even got the time. You can see the timer on the stage yeah. of him. You know what I mean? Because there's yeah. time. You got you, The clock is running. So yeah. It's LPMs. Right. You got it. Yo, and it was just like, yo, this guy is rapid fire. Like, yeah. yo, it's, you know, he doesn't give you a chance to catch your breath. And that's how <laughs> I started writing my jokes because my jokes was too – too, it was too much of a Bill Cosby storyteller. And I yeah, guess, you know, yeah. I don't, sometimes I don't you can be a little that, long-winded. Right. I, you, I don't have that just... respect from the from the from the crowd to start uh-huh. on a whole rant on about you know no one gives a fuck about that. Get funny right now. Yeah. Uh-huh. Whereas Cosby, you know, every he's got that reputation there right. there to see that. Right. Right. So uh-huh. you know that that whole rapid fire was like joke. Fire, Which fire, yeah, punch, people punch, always punch. give DL shit for that, and I mean, when I say that, I mean non-comics. I just observe some of the comedy conversations on Twitter, uh-huh. and obviously these are non-comics, and they'll be like, "Well, you know, obviously Bernie was the funniest. We'd all would agree, but then they'll be like, well, DL sucked the most, or Steve what? sucked the most.' No, like I, I've always y'all even realize they all played their positions yeah. correct." Correct, that, but I've always told people that I've always preferred DL set in that whole Kings of Comedy thing. I always liked DL Hughley set, and even I, they, and, even and I remember his special. Yeah, I, I remember his special before that he did before being on that, and that was just flawless. DL Hughley is like one of the best ever. Well, yeah, his but LPMs he, are high, and I always say I think he came to Indiana, and then I seen him in Buffalo, and talent was opening, and he. His LPMs are so high, like just rapid fire from start to finish. And I mean, he might do all shorter jokes. You know, the jokes might be only one minute. Boom, 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 boom. Mm-hmm. And by the th- time you know it, your stomach's hurting. So right. yeah. And he jumps but, from subject to subject, too. But Correct. people will say about, you know, the Kings of Comedy, well, Steve, you know, didn't even tell any jokes. And it's like, yes, stupid, he's hosting. But if you listen, he did tell some funny ass jokes. Oh yeah, bro. he did. He did. Yeah. So yo, that job he did hosting, you gotta understand you hosting three Titans. So how much comedy are you really gonna get right. for them? You know what I mean? You can't you can't suck up all the wind out of the show with you know and, and leave the crowd exhausted for these three people that you bring into the stage. He set the tone. That's what he was supposed to do. Well, one thing people always will say, and uh, they'll say that that kind of messed up <clears throat> that time a little because 
now people didn't just want to see uh, name me a headliner. They didn't just want to see Jamie Foxx and a feature and an opener. They wanted to see three big name comedians for the price of one, basically. Oh, you told me they they want they wanted the the LeBron James NBA uh, comedy <laughs> show. Yeah, yeah, they want that the NBA all star. You got to have a big the super team, the super team, super teams. They started yeah. wanting to, you know, give me Kevin Hart, give me Corey Holcomb, and this guy and that guy. Well, you got to like, blame Dang. the promoters for that because the promoters figured it out. It was like, all right, so if we get a bigger stadium, we get a stadium and we can put three guys in here that can fill the stadium rather than struggling at these uh, theaters, you know, we're going to make money off the tickets. And I feel you know like the I mean? state of black comedy is still kind of stuck in that, you yeah, know. That's gotta, what it is, man. You almost yeah. never do. Do you see white versions of that? You know, nah. well, really... we, you're not even checking for it, though. The thing about mm-hmm. it, it's happening. You're not checking for that. Yeah, but well, you know, you, that, that would be the blue collar, the blue collar comedy. <laughs> right. That's yeah, the but hold on. And, and, the, and the reason I say, like, <laughs> I know that's the, everybody would say that's the equal version or white version of the Kings of Comedy, but it's actually not. And the reason I would say that is because they're not movie stars, meaning, like, the white version of it would be Seinfeld, Bill Burr, Louis C.K. all at the same time. Mm. Yeah, they do those at the ben- they do those for benefit shows that are at the Garden. They do that for like the you know the Garden of Dreams and all that other stuff. Well, that's the Garden, right? Well, but I'm saying we want to see that in our town. Well, right. well, when and the it fucks up comedy a little, well, where it's the, like there's no feature act no more. No, when the king, well, when the Kings of Comedy came out, those three guys weren't movie stars. Bernie didn't have a show. DL didn't have a show. Bernie was. Huh? Bernie was in movies. Bernie was in Players Club. Yeah, but he was and, like supporting role and stuff like hey, that. He wasn't I, I'm movie not saying, star. He was in movies. Well, I'm saying like he was in movies, but he, he was the, the supporting role. He right. wasn't the leading guy. Right. No, that's fair. He but I'm just movies. saying. DL at the time got a show after that, though. I thought Jamie. No, he had the he had the Hughleys. I thought he got it because of that. Because of no, the... if if you listen to how Steve brings him up, he even says it. You've seen him on oh, yeah? in the Hughleys, right? Oh, okay. And yeah. Cedric was on the show with Steve Harvey, right? And Steve Harvey, the Steve had a Harvey TV show. show, right? Steve right. Harvey show. And they were on BT every night. Yeah, you know, every, <laughs> yeah, so they were pretty big. Yeah, man. BT was yo. They they weren't cute. headlining movies yet, but they were pretty much movie stars. Whereas now. When you bring out a black feature, they're going, well, what you been in? Mm, <laughs> it's like, I'm on my way to being in that nope. stuff. Thank you. Nope. So, Can't make it happen. So, so, Jamie, when do you think that your journey took a turn? Like, when did you find your voice or what, what, what type of, what, uh, what, at what point or what happened that made you go, all right, this is it right here. I'm in my, sh- I'm in the pocket. This is what's happening for me. Well, shit, shit. A lot of shit happened for me quick because um, I started working with talent more. And if if you know anything from working with talent is that he'll he'll give you opportunities before you even ready for it. Word up. And uh, I appreciate him for that. Am, am I breaking up? Yeah, it's like Just a, echo. a little. There's, there's an echo. There's an echo. I don't know what happened. But that's not your fault. This this thing is kind of janky, but whatever. We worked through it. Okay. All right. See, now it's good. So um, better now, yeah. working with talent, he'll give you opportunities before you're even ready for it. And it kind of like groomed me into being the person and host that I am today. Him and uh, Kenny Williams. So Kenny okay. guy too, yeah. Yeah, yeah Kenny, Kenny hosted Ken, I think Apollo Kenny introduced when I did it. me to you, right? Isn't that how that worked? It introduced you to me? Yeah. No, yeah. Uh, I met you. Jared told me to go down and meet you. Oh, Jared, Jared Waters. Waters. 
Jaguar. Yeah. All right, yeah. She right. told me about it, yeah. So I used to host the same New Jack section that I bombed on. I ended up hosting. Um, wow. Yeah, ended up hosting that when it moved to Broadway. And me and Chuck Burks used to rush down there every Sunday night to see who was going to host. If you got there first, you were hosting. If not, you just did a feature. You just did an act, five minutes or whatever. Cool. So I started learning how to host because every time I came off the stage, Kenny and Talent would give me pointers right then and there. Mm-hmm. And then right. I had to go right back up and work out what he just told me. It's like a coach giving you plays to go and, and work on it right now. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Right. And that's how I got better at it. And then I had my son, my firstborn, my son, and when I had JR, we moved down to Atlanta. Now, when I moved to Atlanta, comedy stopped for me probably 100%, probably 90%. I was running a show down there. It wasn't the same because, you know, New York and Atlanta seems totally different. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, I stopped doing comedy. Like, I became Damn. like a house husband. Like, I was cutting grass with overalls. I was doing all types <laughs> of shit. <laughs> and... You know, uh, one of, at the time, uh, my ex-wife, we, we said we was going to move back to New York. And I was like, all right, if we move back to New York, I'm going to start doing comedy again. That's one of the one of the reasons if we're going to move back. I'm going to definitely do comedy again. She's like, all right, all right, yeah, that's no problem, blah, blah, blah. Fast forward later, she hated me doing comedy again. Why but, did you stop once you got down there? Was it just too slow for you or you was just focused? That wasn't where your mind was. Well, it was it was a mixture of both. Like, it was the, the scene was totally different, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and like I just had a child, I just had I just got married, I just bought a house. So okay. it's like, you know, comedy comedy's draining. You know what I mean? Yeah, and, definitely. And in, in Atlanta, you gotta drive twenty, thirty minutes to get to each spot. In New York City, you gotta walk five blocks. You know Okay, what I mean? yeah. I started in Indiana, so I know a little about that. Right. I, I lived in Georgia for eight years. Okay. <clears throat> so and it was like, you know, that that whole it was like a shell shock to me. And Got then, you. Yeah, that's a culture shock. Right, man. It, and then uh, the year Laugh-A-Palooza came down there with Jamie Foxx, that's when all my New York friends came down. And I was like, yo, I got to get back into this shit. They were like, yo, what are you doing? You performing down here? And I, you know, I'm like, nah, man. They were like, what? Yeah. What do you mean? What are you doing, yo? What you, what's wrong with you? And when mm-hmm. I left, when I left New York, I, I, I'm not lying to you, man. When I left New York, I was at the point where I was working five nights a week working not just doing shows i was working right spots 200 spots get paid get money and i was like because first foremost they knew i had a baby on the way so they would you know they were like yo i got a spot for you come blah 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 come work out. yeah but it just all stopped it came to a halt and i was like man how the hell did that happen you know what i mean so when i got back to new york um i got back in uh january and i started sunday night live uh, in August, real quick, yeah. and you that, ready? Yeah, and that just took off, you know, and that just took off. I just and I mean, I, I asked a little deeper, maybe, and I mean, you go as deep as you can feel like you can go with this without being too personal. Obviously, we don't want nobody getting lawsuits, but I always hear about like you know having a wife or even a girlfriend that just doesn't want you to do comedy. And yeah, man, Yo, you know, was, what are the differences? Cause then though, there's man. even people that'll be like, well, date someone within comedy. Right. And then well, I ended up marrying a comedian. So, but yeah, it's like right. strange because when, when me and my ex-wife were together, you know, she liked comedy, right? <laughs> she liked comedy. And then when I was, I'm, I'm laughing because someone had a uh, meme recently of two pictures. One was, a woman at her first comedy show 
you know, dating a comedian and then of her at her last comedy show, dating a comedian of like, she's not laughing she's not at laughing, anything right, more. Right. And it's like, she's heard all this shit. She hates your friends. Right. Right. But it was like, you know, it became divisive within our, within, within our relationship, meaning comedy became the other girl. And gotcha. that, that's what, really, you know, I really didn't pay attention to it. And to tell you the truth, you know, the relationship was doomed. But, you know, it, it was, it, you know, it was kind of like, pick one. You got to pick either yeah. or. And I'm like, yo, I, I did this already. I'm not doing this again. I picked you. We moved down to Georgia. We got a house. We had a baby. And you were miserable. And I was miserable. You know what I mean? I'm not living my best hey. life. So I'm not going to do that again. Sound know? like uh, Frankie Lyman in that movie when he <laughs> moved to Georgia and shit. What are you talking about? Oh, with uh, Holly Berry? The Frankie yeah. Lyman story? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Nigga moved down there and was like, man, I just missed the big city. Yeah. <laughs> but it, 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 you know, that within itself, um, you know, it, it's it, it plays when you have someone who understands your grind, understands the business that you're in. And, you know, it's just like, yo, you you know why I'm out late because you're out late, too. You know what I mean? Gotcha. Right, right, yeah, right, right. late nights. And, you know, the hardest thing to for me to get my girl to understand was, uh, you know, sometimes it's just hanging out of like you have to. Right. And, right. you know, it might come that call might come at six o'clock in the afternoon and now you got something to do at nine. Right, right. And, and you need to move on it. So, yeah, it, I, I can see how it could be, especially with a baby and once you commit it. Right. Like, you and you and Nikki even have a show about comedy and love, don't you, on yeah, man. Amazon? What is it called? <laughs> uh, well, it's not comedy and love. It's just basically about our relationship. Um, it's, on, uh, it's on a fire stick. It's called, it was on FYI Network for 10 episodes. It's called Question of Love. So, okay yeah check that out it's yeah that's, it's crazy man well that right there that that was kind of like premarital um counseling you know what i mean for, yeah. uh, because we we were forced to sit down and ask the tough questions uh that you normally wouldn't ask someone you're just randomly dating you know what i mean right so like yo what's your credit score you know what i mean what you know how much money you got in the bank you know what's your what's how do you how do you expect to live when you're 35 well 20 years from now where do you expect yourself to be you know what i mean and these are these are real questions that people don't ask. They just want the draws. They just want to smash. You know what I mean? Oh, we yeah. Just we just friends. You know, well, we grown up. You know, what, what are we doing? We wasting each other's time or not? Yeah, so, when you don't lay that shit out there like that, that's what it wind up being. Yeah, wasting and it gets cloudy. Time. It gets, you know, people have expectations that weren't set. Like, yo, I wasn't even thinking on that level. I mean, why weren't you? I was thinking, well, we never talked about it. So, right. You um, wake up one day and it's been three years. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Same same shit for three years, and you figure out, well, I'm not even in love with you anymore. It was fun the way it was, and you know. But anyway, it's called a question. I feel like you got to do it. You got to do it wrong one time to get it right. Right, right. Everybody judges people on their second marriage, and it's like, well, at least they tried it, motherfucker. Right. Well, the thing about it is, hold on a minute. My son's gone. You leaving? Yeah. All right. Love you, man. Talk to you later. All right. It looks good. Uh huh. Um, like I was saying, it, you gotta, you, you can't, you can't, um, you can't dock somebody for trying it. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Quit. Like, yo, fam, you, you never gonna, you never gonna love again. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I've been, I've been married gonna... twice. I've been, this is my second marriage. I've been, I got married young. Uh, that didn't last. I got a son out of it. My second marriage is the one I'm with now. And we've been together 13 years. Dope. Dope. Congratulations. Yeah. So, bro. yeah. So it's. 
but I always get that when people, oh, you've been married twice and blah blah blah. And I'd be like, nigga, you ain't been married once. Right. Yeah. Like, at least at least I'm the marrying kind. At least I got somebody that is willing to, you know, you know, take a max contract out on me. You don't even got nobody willing to take a 10-day on you. Like <laughs> You know, nobody even signed up for the veteran minimum. And right, all them motherfuckers right, right. who talk shit when I was in my 20s <laughs> and stuff, I see them now in they mid to late 30s miserable because they ain't got nobody, especially when the pandemic hit. Right. Yeah. Them motherfuckers was, oh, oh, everybody who was, they, they, there's, you know, I know my worth and charge tax and all this shit. Yeah. As soon as the pandemic hit, they had nobody to be quarantined with. Yeah. Now they miserable, suffering from seasonal <laughs> depression and quarantine yeah. fatigue. You know what? Quarantine was like for the single people, was like uh, music of chairs when the music stops. Yeah, word up. <laughs> and it's just like a lot of you motherfuckers got left standing with no speech. Uh, word up. They, they over here scared to go on a date and a motherfucker cough in their direction. And now you, you got to go get a, a fucking Q-tip stuck up your nose. Shut the fuck up. Least, me and my wife, like outside of comedy, bro, I'm a homebody. Right, me and my wife, right. we don't go any like we are so insular. It's 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 retarded. And when the quarantine happened, I looked at my wife. I said, "Man, I feel like we've been preparing this for this our whole day because <laughs> we just enjoy each other's company." And that's the you way it's supposed saying? to be. That's the way it's you know, supposed to be. We ain't be, like best. You know, that's my girl. We ain't like she ain't my like one of my boy. I hate when people are like, "Oh, you you they gotta be your best friend." Like we're we're good friends. That's my girl. You know what I mean? She ain't one of the boys. Right. But it's like, yeah, I, I, feel like her, I enjoy her company even if we ain't saying nothing to each other. Right. And I feel like artists, we we partially responsible for some of the narratives that are out there about relationships. And I feel like we started letting single people dominate the conversations. And even, you know, yep. when it comes to comedy, it's damn near hack hosting, but it's, you know, where the married <laughs> people at? Oh, y'all sound bored. Yeah, yeah, Where yeah, the single yeah. people at? Oh, they got so much noise. And it's like, that noise is frustration. <laughs> 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 they making noise so they can be seen, you know? Word they up. They try- mating calls. They- Yo, they trying to get picked. That's right. What, like they got this term, right? They got this term, and, and Phil know about it on Twitter. But they call these women now pick bees, and they be like, and I seen these two women online talking about pick girls who are pick bees, and I said the nerve of two pick bitches <laughs> talking, c- looking down on other women who want to be picked. <laughs> you got two picked women talking down on somebody who's trying to get chose. Like, right. Shut yeah. up. Right, single as a motherfucker. Single as hell. <laughs> like, man, shut up. We do, we do allow them to say too much at times. It's like, yo, oh, you taking advice from Steve Harvey? He's divorced, and yeah, this is a book of full of what not to do. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Word. My, yeah, like, well, my, my mom used to always tell me too. She used to be like, yo, sometimes you can learn from a guy that's a, like she said. Sometimes you can learn from a bum. Well, sometimes you can learn from whatever because they used to be who you are. Like, you don't know who that guy who's homeless or that guy who's whatever, going through whatever, and they seem like losers. He's like, mm-hmm. you don't know what they lost. Right. He said, so right. sometimes you can listen to them and be like, oh, I'm heading down that same road. Correct. Because most average motherfuckers look at them and be like, man, they ain't nobody. Man, yeah, a, mo- a motherfucker with a failed business can tell you what not to do. Correct. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Anything with a failed relationship. Failed relationships, <laughs> yup. People man, love the flip that narrative. And, and look but. at Steve Harvey, though. They can talk shit about Steve Harvey, but Steve Harvey is richer now than he was when he was with his former wife. Right. It's the same thing with Michael Jordan. Everybody, oh, they can shit on oh, Michael. Uh, uh, I remember that meme was out where they talk about how Juanita Jordan got him for so much money and she played yeah. smart. And, by, and she did for the time. 
But now I'm pretty sure she wished she would have held on to that, all that information she had about him cheating just five or six more years down the line. She'd have got him for more money. Right. He got, <laughs> she tapped out at, what did he pay her, like $200 million? This nigga a billionaire now. Right. <laughs> yeah, kept going up. Yeah, right. the kids was grown. She couldn't even get them for child support. It's like, man, <laughs> she didn't play it too smart. She played. She got it for for the man he was then. That nigga a billionaire now. You ain't fucking with Michael Jordan now. Right. Which that's the uh, the running joke about Lori Harvey, which is you know mm. Steve's stepdaughter or whatever. Is that mm. she read them books and that's how she playing all these dudes. Probably, oh, man. <laughs> probably. It'll be, but that's, but you know what though? That's good on her though, because the average woman don't take, they don't, we don't, they don't take advice from the men in their lives. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's why a lot of times, a lot of times they don't take advice. Where I don't know if you have any daughters. You got any daughters, Jamie? Yeah, I got one daughter. Yeah. You got one daughter. So I got my two stepdaughters, and and I grew up with a lot of sisters. And if you know from anybody that's ever had to be responsible for women in any form or fashion, whether you're big brother or father. Or, or something, or, or or you have a wife, is you give them advice and they don't want to take it. <laughs> and they completely do the opposite and then you go, didn't I tell you, did, didn't I tell you that earlier? When everything falls to shambles, like, yo, didn't I tell you that? Falls to shambles. <laughs> when it all falls apart in their face, you go, and then they come complaining to you, you go, but didn't I tell you No, that? you can't do that, weeks. though. You can't do that. You can't do that. I told you so. You can't do that. Oh, I do well, it. Well, I, I can't do, do it. that with my wife. I, I can't I do, do it. Well, you can't do it. I do it. You know why I do it? Because it's like, look, I'm going to tell you. I'm going I'm to let you know. Because, like, look, you can't come to me. Because all the advice you try to do leading up to that point is you're trying to do pre- preventative maintenance. Correct. You're like, look, I see where this is going. Mm-hmm. This ain't going good. We need to turn yeah. back. And they're gonna keep forging ahead. No, no, you don't know what you're talking about. You, they know better than you. All right, go ahead, do it. Then when the shit fall apart, they look at you and they want you to fix it. It's like, nah, nah, I ain't fixing shit. Yeah, I'm gonna. We here I'm, now. I'm gonna tell you why I don't do. I just laugh because Nikki and I, you know, we're both comedians, and she accepts. Right. She accepts shows, and I'm like, yo, you shouldn't be doing that show. <laughs> and the day of the show, she's like, you know what? I'm gonna cancel the show. I'm like, no, you can't do that. Now. You can't do it now. <laughs> yeah, you commit it. You your commit face, it. Your yeah. face is all over the flyer. They've been promoting you for three weeks. <laughs> <laughs> and she's looking at me like, why'd you let me do this show? I told your ass back then <laughs> you should have did it. You should have did it. Yo, I, it's just, you know, that's that's the the that's my I told you so, but I just start laughing because I know, you know, what the what the outcome is gonna be. Right. And it always happens. It's like, oh, you committed to doing a book show on the coldest day of the month. You know what I mean? In the back mm-hmm. of a bookstore in Harlem for fifteen dollars. <laughs> Why? Why are we doing this still? We don't need that. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah. Sometimes you gotta just say, you know, no, I can't do it. <laughs> and then it came to a point where that. she was saying, "Yo, listen, I want you to be you. You book the shows for me. If someone calls and asks me for a show, um, you, you, I'm gonna give them your number. I say, all right, yeah, that works." Uh, she wasn't doing any shows for like two or three weeks. She's like, yeah. <laughs> now she looking, now she looking at you like you her manager. Yeah. Hey, hey. But sometimes that's good though, because because quality <laughs> over quantity. Manager. Right, but I I was turning things down left. What play all ball for real, yo? I was like, nah, she ain't coming out for that. I'm you, sorry, you was talking, you was talking some shit like she, <laughs> like uh, she gonna need a trailer. It's not even a true. lot like Ike booking Tina. Yeah, I don't we, know. We gonna need a trailer. <laughs> we gonna need. 
Look, we gonna you, you was giving it. Look, you can give her this date if I can get this date. You was booking the both of you, right? It's a package deal. She, she, so who's every time? So who's hosting the show? <laughs> Do you need Hilarious. a host? You was doing it in with Todd Lynn was doing to you. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that guy ain't even funny. Nah. Who you got on it? Which that's good because I've also heard, you know, those comic relationships going the other way where they start getting jealous of each other. Oh, yeah. We've we like... argued over check spots before. Don't get that twisted. We've... <laughs> <laughs> Hilarious. We've argued over check spots before. Like, yo, you hey, gonna... come on, man. You know, but, you know, it, it, it's it's all fun and games. You know what I mean? It's all fun and games. Yeah. And if you learn to laugh at it, like, it's it's not so serious. It's like we tell dick jokes, so. Right. You know. and, and the, the beauty of it, though, if you really look at the whole grand scheme of things, man, it's not even it's not even that important in, mm. in, in, in life for us to move forward. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like comedy is we love it. Don't get it twisted. We love it. But if it disappeared like it has for the last year, we're still able to survive. You know, yeah. and that's that's what I would ask you. Like, what do you think? uh what do you think, where was comedy kind of when you started? And what do you think the big changes have been, obviously, with social media and different stuff? What's your perspective? Well, when I started, man, you had to be funny. I, if, if that makes sense. <laughs> <laughs> if that makes sense. Oh, you know man, what I mean? I love this energy, yo. Yo, you had yeah. to be funny, man. You, you know, even if you weren't the funniest, you had to be working on being funny. You know what I mean? It wasn't working on just getting your five minutes so you could get uh, a late night special. It was, no, you got to be funny. And if you're not <laughs> funny, we're going to let you know you're not funny. You know what I mean? Yeah. So now these days, you can't even tell people they're not funny because now you hate it. And it's right, like, right, yo, right. listen, man, who's, who is going to who's going to, to be the authority of, over why these people are getting on and getting getting put up on these pedestals if they're not that funny. Right. It's so tricky and, and and then they'll go, well, I got so many followers. Right. I don't care. Your followers are corny. You know what I mean? Or, they, you know, yeah. Those are your or, followers. I'm not going to take anything away from that. Those are your or, followers. They believe in you. They understand your, your type of comedy. Mm -hmm. But the masses, we're talking about the masses of people. Could we put you on any show and you perform? Would you still right. do what you're supposed to do? Mm, yeah, that's the one thing I always give people. It's like, look, man, I've been out here X amount of years. I didn't had TV auditions and didn't get the shit. And I see the people that get it. And I go, look, man, they could put me downtown at Caroline's and I could come back uptown and do the Apollo. And I don't think you could do both. Right. 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 So that's mm -hmm. that's always my saving grace. So that's what helps me sleep at night, because it is a lot of unfunny shit getting by. And it's getting like by. the manager is great. Yeah, mm -hmm. that's all you can really say for some of this shit. And I always equate it back to like you were saying about being at the Boston Comedy Club and Dame Dash was there with you know Memphis Bleaker. Like I feel like the two th biggest changes in black comedy are a you know comic views to come on six nights a week, right? And twice you know on Saturday, on Saturday. So it's like yo. There's no real goal anymore for black comedians, meaning Def Jam or Comic View kind of were our goals. Because all the way back to Chris Rock, he says one of the ways he developed such a strong hour for Bring the Pain was, you know, all the white comics were getting the late night sets. 
you know, and they're mm -hmm. developing five minutes at a time. But he said, you know, I was out on the road and there really was no goal for him. So he was developing whole hours. Mm -hmm. And and like I said, now we don't have a comic view and don't have any of that stuff. So I do see it now as like, and there's no music moguls, you know. The last music mogul was Russell Simmons and they chased that nigga to Bali. So, <laughs> <laughs> you know, because that was kind of our, they would help us get on TV. White, you know? so, some white comics, they, they they set that up. They was like, we got to get this nigga out of here. <laughs> He's going to have more niggas on TV telling jokes. That's they funny. tried to bring back Def Jam. Yeah. You know what I mean? But mm -hmm. it, it's it's... You gotta you gotta move past that. What's the next? Well, yeah, you thing? gotta you can't reheat French fries. Right, like... right. It's not the same <laughs> taste. You know what I mean? You could, what's the next thing? And, but I'm know, saying we this generation needs our thing. Meaning, even you know, uh, Smokey Suarez and them, they had uh, Bad Boys account. Right, right. So that's why I'm saying you know these rap moguls they used to have you know millions of dollars on hand would kind of venture off into comedy. You know, even. Dame Dash really breaks Kevin Hart, and even I think Patrice O'Neill's in Paper Soldiers. Mm -hmm. right. So it was like we had those goals of you know I might go down to Caroline's one night and insert rap mogul may be there, but now that there's no labels anymore, there's no big dogs really, and it just I I feel like it leaves a lot of black comedians struggling to either I sit go in the rooms where white, they don't, yeah. And get in there, but there's really no end game to even being a urban or a black comedian nowadays. Well, that that was one of the things that I was I was working on. I was trying to trying to build was um was a show like that, and you know it was it was called Behind the Mic, and it would really just basically show the you know like the the journey of the black comedians to get into the spotlight. You know what I mean? Mm, so yeah. it was like. It was the same type of setup as a comedy show, but it just gave you a little bit more detail or in-depth conversation of who these comedians were, you know, mm -hmm. and, but it never okay. got produced. So mm -hmm. it's, it's, That's almost similar to what they're doing now. I haven't watched the episode of it, but what I've heard of it, that dark humor thing that they put on Comedy Central, yeah. something similar to that. No, I didn't see it. That's pretty much what, that kind of sounds like what they're doing with that, only it's not a comedy show. Yeah, it wasn't a comedy show. It's it was like a more documentary. On black and the struggle of being black and a comedian. Like but a comedian. They didn't call me for that shit. I would have had an hour and a half of fucking material. But yeah, <laughs> and, and I mean, maybe you can self-produce it. I mean, I mean, yeah, that's the you way, got, man. That's the way. We you got your uh, other joint on. on. What was it, Vizio? You said. What's that? The joint that you and Nikki did. Oh, oh, that was on. Um... FYI Network, yeah. So see, yeah, maybe you can self-produce it, and uh, which I think you actually did one of the joints, actually, uh, the Newark comedian joints uh, that was on title. What was the name of? It? <laughs> no small talk with uh. Nope. Yeah, Cipher Sounds. That was with Cipher Sounds. Yo, let me tell you something, man. Every time I every time I uh, audition for industry, I fucking bomb every time. <laughs> That's it crazy. never man. fails. Like mm -hmm. uh, it was at Gotham. All right, we had Gotham. This was this was actually for Def Comedy Jam, right? They had Rip Michaels hosting, Rip and Michaels I saw some up. of this. Rip Michaels shows up five minutes before the show. He does three minutes of crowd work and brings me right up. So I'm like, yo, yes. All right, thanks, Rip. I appreciate you, brother. You know what I mean? And I tried right. to do my set. Horrible. People still being seated. It was just horrible. So I was like, oh, oh man, bomb there. Uh, it was another uh, audition I had for um, 
with the fucking show. Damn it. Anyway, bombed at that one, right? So mm-hmm. Cypher, I hit Cypher because Cypher used to do my show. I'm like, yo, what's up with that uh, the title joint? He's like, yeah, here's the date. I was like, what? He's like, yeah, this is the date right here. Come through. Yeah, I got you. I got you. So I hit mm-hmm. him two weeks prior. He's like, yo, did I give you a date? Are you sure? I was like, yo, Cypher, stop playing games, man. <laughs> so, you know, he's like, all right, all right, yeah, you right, you right. I got you. I got you. Come on down. So when I got there, there were so many comedians there. I was like, holy shit. Right, like, you know, I was like, "Yo, we're gonna get all this in this, this tape tonight." You know, they did it at at the comedy cellar, but they converted the uh, what was it called, the Village Underground, into the, the comedy cellar. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the second the room. Right. Mm-hmm. So um, when I got it was Capone, it was Chris Desafano, it was Pat Brown. It was, yeah, it's a good mixture. Yo, it was so many comedians, and you know, I I was blessed because he put me up like like towards the middle of the show. Um, but everybody did great. And it was like the first time I ever performed in front of industry at a level that high, videotaped, you know, produced out of production and actually did well. Nice. And that was probably, you know, one of my best sets. You know, well, let me let me let me point out part of the reason those auditions are so awkward that I've observed is because and I went to not the Def Jam auditions you were on. But if I'm being clear, everybody bombed. And I mean, a few cats did better than usual, but it was because you had a bunch of, I don't like to label us and call us hood or urban comics, but, you know, if comedy's a spectrum, you know, with mainstream being somewhere in the middle, and then there's alt comics on one end and then urban comics of like, it was just such extremes. They either had alt black comics or urban urban comics like i remember watching the cat be like where the haitians at it's like nigga you are on 23rd street and 7th (laughs) avenue in manhattan (laughs) there will be no haitians this is now brooklyn (laughs) and then yeah switch that to where the you know where the jamaicans at and it was just silence and it's like yeah man if you're gonna have these auditions and this is an urban show then have it in an urban spot right Right, you know, right, have right. it at footprints or have it at uh, essence. Well, I I noticed that it seems like even with black comedians, like you mentioned earlier, Phil, it's like they're trying to fit. They're almost trying. I remember a period in where so-called urban comedy was mainstream. It was the mainstream. You understand what I'm saying? And all right. of what's considered mainstream now was premium blend. Right. And all exactly. of them motherfuckers is like. Now it seems like whatever they bring out that's supposed to be black comedy is trying to fit the premium blend or whatever's mainstream now's kind of vibe. It's watered it's down, like, brother. It's, it's watered, watered down. Yeah, and it's like, it shouldn't be that. Like you said, they should have had those auditions at Mocha's. Right. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Real talk. Nat- at the National Black Theater, if you really want to keep because when you did watch the, the, you know, when you did watch the second iteration of Death Comedy Jam, it was nothing like the original. No. It was really sanitized. You could mm. tell there were comics in the front row. Well, the you know second iteration was... I felt like was pretty good. And, oh, not and... the second. I'm sorry. This is this last one. Not second. I forgot. Okay, they yeah, did, the last they did one. bring it. The very last one. Not the second one. I'm sorry. When they moved Bob it to L.A. Sumner, who was the talent coordinator for the prior two seasons, right. said what it was missing was New York. And once he said that, I said, you know what? That's fair. Mm-hmm. Because you know you get in LA and it gets a little glitzy, and now you got models in the front row. Whereas yeah. 
you know that big part of the um, first iteration was the energy of the room and you know the people would get up and run around the room when you hit that punchline so mm-hmm. and that's just you know gritty New York people stopping they feet it was very, like it was very similar to uh, Uptown Comedy Club right yeah, Uptown not, Comedy Club was very was almost exactly the same way we not Hollywood right yeah you know? right. and so yeah it was a Hollywood vibe and obviously I don't want to diss you know there was some good comedians and people I know on that no word last iteration but i think the crowd was yeah the crowd is what it was missing because the comics were would do really well like i thought the comedians were funny but then the crowd wasn't responding like yeah it's tight man you gotta just like what you know when you use the seat fillers and the different people that that are in la and the Mm -hmm. the models you know they're almost too cool for school right right. audiences (laughs) and actors Mm-hmm. But even back to my original point that even Jamie pointed out here, you know, getting that TV credit or app credit, I don't even know what we're saying nowadays, but being on title, that was a music guy, uh, Cypher Sounds. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but, you know, Cypher moved from music to comedy. And, mm-hmm. and you know, when he told me he was doing comedy, I didn't really believe him. You know what I mean? Yeah. And he told me he was doing comedy. I said, all right, you know, let's make it work. And Cypher was not funny. He'll tell you that. And you know, he started really doing it. And I was like, oh, shit. All right. That's what's up, man. I started booking him on shows and he was actually delivering. Right. You know? mm-hmm. And then I saw his passion for it when he started doing the improv. And I was like, oh, this guy's really about his business. You know what I mean? So, mm-hmm. and he took but it to another level. He took his connections and he cool. made it work. Him getting you straight to the TV or getting you straight to the app. And getting you on the show without actually auditioning. Correct. Like you said, a lot of these auditions be hot and cold. Uh, even for myself, I did, uh, what did I do? A Sway in the Morning show. And I was hyped for that. And it was like, nigga, the key part of this show is morning. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, yeah. like, it's cool, but they ain't really awake like that. Right. And then, you know, we yeah. went up after, I think, Damon John spoke. That was for FUBU. Mm-hmm. Uh, Troy Ave performed. So then you got a couple rappers. It was like a little seminar for businesses. You know, <laughs> and then once I think we started at 7 a.m. Oh man. 10 a.m. They brought out like breakfast. So niggas is eating French toast and sausage. <laughs> niggas is passing bottles of Moet. And then you had 20 comics go up, but D Ray was headlining that weekend, and I think half of us went and then D-Ray did his thing and once he did that it was kind of like well what the hell that's the show <laughs> yeah and then you know three people before me bombed and it was just like lord jesus <laughs> what is going on here so you went on after DJ after uh after D-Ray? D-Ray? after D-Ray well no two people after D-Ray oh. then me and those two people bombed because to be honest, you know, he's not anyone that really knows what he's doing as far as picking talent. And I mean, you can look at the some of the episodes online, they've gotten better. But then I think he was just kind of going going based off what he thought was funny, not what, what the crowd would find funny. So you had people flying in less experienced, you know, than they should be and not being able to deal with that more was a rap crowd than it was a comedy club crowd. Got you. And then even then, he was putting up people just from the radio, like, yo, 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 my man's, you know, he works in the back, you know, <laughs> of the radio station, but he always say some funny shit to me when I come in. 
so he was putting them up in front of people that flew out from like Florida and shit like that. It's yeah, like, dude. And then, like I said, once they started passing around Moet and uh, breakfast sausage, it was like, yo, niggas got the itis in here. <laughs> hey, but you know, Phil, got man, here at seven a.m. And you've worked, uh, you've worked footprints. This should have been a breeze for you, brother. This exactly, <laughs> exactly. Man, this should have been this. You know, you should have been shooting fishing about. This I'm a look. You should have been a pig and shit. Right. Well, right. well listen, listen. Hey, at eleven a.m., you forgetting that part. Nah. <laughs> uh, just something weird about doing stand up at eleven a.m. But yeah, anyway, it's always, it's always weird doing stand up during the day in the morning. You know, yeah. even when you get booked for corporate things, they want you to come in at two o'clock. Like, yo, all right, uh, can we do this at the end of the day? Because people got to go back to work after mm-hmm. you, do yeah. you know what I mean. And they got like be ready to laugh. It's like the sun is out. Yeah, you know, you gotta understand. We, we, anyway, but yeah, it's kind of weird doing that shit. So. But see, even that naming that is like sway in the morning, cipher sounds. I I wonder why black comedy they feel like always has to come through the lens of someone who's in rap or in music. And I mean, I guess those are the people who have the connections, though. Yep. Yeah, know? those are the people the... who have the connections to cut the check to get it done. So... And that's where I get a little jealous of the white comedians. Are like, motherfucker, imagine you know spending ten, twelve years of a career trying to craft a set to impress who's a white music guy, uh, Rick Rubin. <laughs> mm-hmm. Like, yeah, man. That- kind of ridiculous, you know, the life of black comedians are just like, damn. <laughs> you spent all your time crafting your craft and, and you know, it doesn't work opposite of like, the rappers never have to impress the comedians. Right, right, right. Well, you, but, you have to understand though, man, and and in the day and age that we're in, we shouldn't really be looking for someone to put us on. You got to put yourself on. Mm-hmm. You and yeah, the qu- quarantine showed a lot of people that real quick. Yeah, like yeah, yeah. You got to put yourself on. Whether it's that's building your own platform, building your own series, uh, man. You you know you can make your own movie. You know what I mean? So yeah, you you can do everything you you wanted to do. It's just gathering the resources to get it done. And it's not even about the money. It's about the dedication. And and understanding what you're capable of doing, if you can't do it, find somebody else who can. Get the nah, definitely. Yeah, I feel that way now. Like you know, I still have my complaints. We all complain because we're human, but it's like you better be writing some sketches. You better be filming some this and filming some that because yeah, as you said, it's like yo, them days are dead. The glory days are gone. They're not com- I, I don't. I don't think they are anyway. I don't think they're coming to the comedy club saying, "Hey, that's the next Eddie Murphy." I need him to. I want to sign him, and he's going to do this. You know, I don't think that's happening anymore. You know, because mm. I, mm. I haven't really seen it. I've been doing this for for twenty years. You know, I've only seen a couple people handpicked to say, "Yeah, we're going to make this guy somebody." Yeah, it's it's real weird because you know, even a lot of the black comics they pick, it doesn't connect, and then we right back at square one, and they pick another glory boy, and it's like they push him all the way to the top. You go, but that's Still the problem. Connect. Like they they're pushing people who who are not representing us. You know what I mean? Who are not representative of, of us? It's like that's why we gotta pick our own people. You gotta pick yourself. Mm-hmm. That's one thing I was saying about uh the the movie industry. Even you know uh what was the movie? Oh Harriet Tubman. That it's really sad that it flopped. But it's like that's one of the biggest black historical figures, right? 
and uh, the actress they put in that spot, you go a little like, no disrespect to her, I'm sure she's good at her craft, but you go, you know, when Spike Lee did Malcolm X, he put Denzel in that spot. And it was like the perfect marriage of a black director on the come up and being within the culture and knowing like black people love Denzel. Right. Mm-hmm. And boom. Whereas with this movie, you look at it and you just like, okay, this is clearly not a black director. Right. It's or you wouldn't have picked this actress. It's Hollywood, man. It's and, also it also like kind of what we've been talking about in this whole podcast episode is about gen- about generational gaps or people paying their dues and that gap in having you know of of connectivity. I guess is like yeah. that, and not to I'm not tearing back any wounds or whatever but since we talk about movies or whatever i believe that's that's one of the reasons why the coming to america movie didn't resonate the way Uh-oh. it's supposed to oh, shit. i'm just Uh-oh. bringing it up i'm just bringing it up i haven't even seen it me and nikki are watching it tonight we've been right. pushing this shit off for well, so from, long because every time it, we go to watch it so all right that's it's a good mo- no it's Don't a waste good movie time. It's a good movie, but I think the the everything everything before Bud is bullshit. But go ahead. No, no, no. But the the, (laughs) but the the humor aspect of it, the jokes, is where it it misses the mark for me. Like the jokes aren't there like they were in the original, or like well, it was a lot like when Eddie did SNL of like yeah, that's what I'm hearing. It's such a touchdown and such a um easy score. It's a lot like I guess when somebody's on the goal line, or like you don't have to get crazy and drop back for no pass. Right, Mm -hmm. just have him do Gumby, right? Have him do James Brown, (laughs) right? And let's get out of here, right? So Uh, it's like handing it off on the goal line. I think. Sometimes it. with sequels, people get crazy where it's like, all you got to do is build on the legacy of. You're not, like, you can't name a sequel that's really better than the original, can you? Hmm. I even mm. think you really can't. The Kill Bills. Kill Bills. Kill Bills. Hmm. Man, I have to go back and the watch The Kill Bills though. got better with each one that they did. Interesting. I, there's, a like few, a, there's a few. There's a few. You got to think hard because we don't. I know what you're saying. Like Friday like is never. It's never. The, the original Friday is always going to be the best Friday. Got it. Yes, because right. it was a surprise. Because right. it was. Yeah, nobody expected. Expectations were low. Right. In the original. Yeah, it's like you know, the first time you hit a chick, it's like hold they, on, they, they, hold it ain't never going to be better. But even, but even, look, 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 word up. I'm just saying, it's a plan. Going to be better than that first time. It's like. It's swimming up to his brain. That's why he forgets stuff. <laughs> it's like oh, the first early time onset. that you smash a chick, right? Yeah, you know, right. Yeah, it's, it's, what's what's that name, Jamie? Deborah? <laughs> like, you just start naming names. He's the fan, yo. Feel your William two, O'Neill ass nigga. <laughs> two married men is on the on the line with you, brother. Going to peel back. Hey, all right, all right. Y'all could have been talking about y'all wives. No, of like, I, hey, no, I, I ain't hitting my chick and him. my wife. That's what you talking about. <laughs> I'm just saying. It's never as good as that first. Now you're being disrespectful. Hey, even even crackheads say they just. Hey, you just chasing that first high. Chasing that first high. It's never as good as that first high. Right, right. No, but even. If, even but still, even if the Fridays that came after the first Friday, they still had funny. Because it's arguable it if that funny, next though. Friday 
you know, with Mike Epps being introduced, and I'm obviously biased. We went to the same high school, same city. <laughs> well, it's, it's just arguable. as good, right? It's just as good as the first Friday. Right. It's arguable. Right. And, and I love Chris Tucker, and I'd, I'd like to see another one. But I think the huge difference there is he didn't wait 30 years. And so it was a different plot line. It wasn't, you know, it was, it was, it was, it was totally different. A different you know? plot line. You gotta Once, wait with, with 30 years for with the next, man, that's a lot of with the With the next, with the next Friday though, uh, with the next Friday, what happened was once people got over the fact that Chris Tucker wasn't in it, yeah. they was able to take it for what it was. They enjoyed it, but it was mm-hmm. funny. the thing, huh? And it was funny. It was funny. It was hilarious. The thing, the thing about coming to America is, I believe that Eddie, by you said, like you said, waiting thirty years, I believe he skipped an entire generation of comedians that could have really been uh, cast in the in that movie had they did it 10, 15 years okay. ago. Okay, that could have caught on to the humor and held on to the prestige of the first one. Right. So it's gotcha. like, you know what I'm saying? So like all the comics, like the Jamie Roberts, like all of these other comedians, Smokey Suarez and all of them that came, they're all pretty much like they say in comedy, childrens of one another. Like yeah. they, they all child, you know, children of Eddie. They're in that next generation. Had they come up and they did come into America then, I think it would have been way funnier. It's like you're you're doing it 30 years later. with Well, that's what I'm saying. Don't really resonate know. with. Comedy. Those Fridays, I think he might have skipped, went four years in between them. And then I feel like next Friday and last Friday or Friday after next are even close up, like two years. And, right. you know, the first one gives us Chris Tucker. The second one gives us Mike Epps. Epps. Third, third one gives us Cat Williams. Cat Williams like, yep. You know, but it's still hard to name a sequel that's better than the right. original. So. I don't think anybody was looking for better. I just think people were looking for, you know, humor. The story and you know, the, is um, good. The, the, the sets are better. Like, if you look the, at the, the synergy, is obviously for me. And I, like I just said, I just attended uh, Old Man Tinkin's funeral over at the comic strip. Is mm-hmm. he was both of their first managers, Jermaine Fowler, that's the star of the new one, and Eddie Murphy. So, to me, that's the connection, mm-hmm. you know. So, for me, it's more of watching family. So, it's hard for me to give a perspective on it and to say I'm not biased because I see that connection. Obviously, that's not any connection that uh, anybody else was saying. To the point I made earlier of being a made man and being in the mob a little, of like, you know, you basically speaking against the family. And obviously, Ibrahim just like, yo, well, I don't give a fuck. I look, ain't like that. Look, shit. I'm still a fan of comedy, man. I'm still a fan of. I'm still it felt a, like I'm a family fan reunion to me. A, of, yeah, it's a know, it's a great movie. It's a great movie in regards to the story. The um, you know, the sets, the costumes. It was good to me to see black generations coming together and working together, and not being a fucking cop movie. Which you know, we just watched what Judas and the Black Messiah. Yeah, yeah. And that with black trauma and all of that. Yeah, that yeah, it was good to not have something about slavery or cops and police brutality. So I looked at it like, yo, this is a family reunion, and even still, to where you talk about the funny part. I think for this generation, if they'd have tried to, you know, push those uh, boundaries and certain jokes and I, stuff, I'll let y'all know what I this feel generation would have got mad. I'll put it up and let y'all know. My oh, this. Okay. I, I, I respect that. We're about to sign off of here. We probably got about another five minutes. So, Jamie, I'll go ahead and ask you. And we talked about doing comedy in hostile club? situations, hostile environments. Mm. You ever get into <laughs> any fights? Yeah. Uh, 
I got hit with a chicken uh, wing. <laughs> at a fight, I, I still wing? don't like flats, nigga. Me per se, no. <laughs> During the show, yes. I've been on stage and there's been a fight that's broken out uh, while I was hosting. And um, it was at, it was at, uh, what's the shit that hotel called? Oh, what, it wasn't comics. It was um, McDougal CBs. I don't know if y'all remember, there was a spot called CBs. CBs is so small, right, that if an ant farts, you're going to hear the shit. I so do remember CBs. You heard the two guys fighting over the bill, who was going to pay. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm on stage getting ready to bring, who, who would I <laughs> I'm on stage getting ready to bring somebody up to do the check spot. And I ended up doing the check because I had to calm the crowd <laughs> And they was like, nah, nigga, you said you was going to pay. You, nah, you see, you always playing these fucking games. <laughs> and they started, I guess one of them was drunk and the other one wasn't. But they started fighting during the comedy show. And I was like, yo, I'm like, they came together. <laughs> I'm like, who's driving who home? Hilarious. Y'all both going back to the same borough. How's that going to work <laughs> out, yo? And, yo what? Same car. or you got to get on the same train. You got <laughs> You got to get back in the same car. Like, they started physically fighting. Myself, per se, at a comedy club. (laughs) Or at a comedy show, rather. Uh, Right. Nah, I've had some... Okay, because you hosting properly. You ain't insulting nobody's mother from I I still work out. You ain't going to talk to me crazy because I tell jokes. Yeah, I had some close calls, some stare-downs. You had some close calls. (laughs) You know... Hold on, I, I still got questions. Oh, no. oh, well, see, what was the joke the that got the stare down? Those was always funny to me. The spot in Harlem um, at uh, National Black Theater is that when you come into the show, you got to walk past me to get to your seat. So if your lady got a fat ass or she looking good, I'm a comic. So that's the first thing I ah. see. I don't see the dude coming five steps behind her. You know what I mean? Right. And it's like, yo, what the fuck? You know, it's like, yo, who the fuck this? And then you see the dude. Right, right, right. Like, yo, my man. And I'm like, oh, man, I didn't even know she was somebody. You got to walk closer to her. Yo, and then he started, yo, just chill. I'm like, oh, here we go with this shit. You know what I mean? I'm like, but it was like, yo, we good, man. I'm just saying it's your lady's bad. If you wasn't here, man, yeah, fuck in the bathroom. You know, and it was just, it got. There's a bunch of nutcrackers in me, and then it got you know got to a point where yo man, need <laughs> the jokes on the stage, you know that that kind of talk. I'm like, all right, nigga, whatever. So, but yeah, nah, sometimes you do a nice little there, uh, hey, it, give it, it up give for my man it, and his girl, I, and that'll kind of usually settle. I was disrespectful. I didn't see him. Okay, I didn't see him. So. Yeah, I'm like, yo, because you know, <laughs> well, yeah, yeah, jokes, you didn't see her, so you talking to you her know, like she's a loose girl. Sees a, <laughs> everybody sees a silhouette, you know. What I mean, they get an angle. You got an elephant. Like, yo, everybody see it. Yo, what the fuck is this? You know, elephant <laughs> in the room or, or the donkey it, it in the just, room. Man, it was a lot. Yeah. It was a lot. I think I was talking about me being divorced. Word. Yeah, yeah, and, and that's what walked by, and I'm like, yo, you see? Yeah, yeah, you're trying to tap me already. I told you, you know, right, but you know. Anyway, anyway, but there, that was the stare down moment. You know? <laughs> and to tell you the truth, mm-hmm. it was it, it helped the show. You know what I mean? <laughs> because me being a host, I got to address that and make it funny because now it got tension mm-hmm. in the room and now I got to bring that tension back to make it funny so everyone's 
calm again and ready to laugh. So, yeah, you got to break the tension. And, and no disrespect, fam, you know? But you, yeah, you got to break that tension. That's funny. I seen a dude this week, which I ain't going to dime him out, but I'll tell you the line. And that's always what's funny about fights is, you know, they had to be separated and carried outside. <laughs> and it was to the point where even the manager was like, yo, we're not even supposed to be in here. What the fuck, man? Uh-huh. <laughs> but the comic hit him with a bar of, uh, and the shit wasn't funny to me until I got home. Uh, the comic hit him with a bar, of, you know, <laughs> you down here on International Women's Day with two threes. Uh-huh. And then he said, and where did you find two threes? Uh-huh. And the dude said, motherfucker. <laughs> and from there, it was kind of on. Where it's two, like, three. anytime you touch up a woman, people always where get a little more two? tight. <laughs> and, and two, three, where did you find a set of that, two Yo, three? that's because insulting somebody's woman is like insulting somebody's mother's cooking that's why yeah it's kind of an <laughs> unwritten rule of, of like, comedy a little bit you know you say something to the woman because yeah that was what was happening the dude was arguing with the dude and it was all good <laughs> and then he just reached for that line which like i said <laughs> when i got home and the tension was over it was like yo that was a funny ass <laughs> bar <laughs> you on woman's day you you found a set of threes <laughs> but uh <laughs> Well, the, the, yeah, uh, they got the thrown out of the club. I think Lillard was on stage. Did they actually so physically they fight? They, they... <laughs> that was the plan. That was the plan. <laughs> that that like, probably was a plan. They, 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 they that was the plan. We're going to start yeah. fighting. They're going to throw us out. They're going to ask us to pay. They're so happy we left. It, Yo, it was all not. a distraction. That's hilarious. I didn't even know CB was big enough to have a fight. Right, right. That's That's nice when they say though, we got to take this outside, it's because the place yeah. ain't big enough. It's like, yo, literally go outside. But uh, oh no, I nah. So I so then you you just kind of brought up the, the next show. comic. I mean, the last comic. So that's your dominated the last fifteen minutes of the show. You know what I mean? So ah, okay. So they fought during right. the fight. <laughs> wow. Niggas fought over the gratuity. Well, we know what we <laughs> and see, I still ain't even asked what race they were, but we we we, 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 we already know. Yeah. <laughs> Niggas fighting over the. Chat. If we was white, if we was white, we were in trouble. <laughs> We'd be in trouble even thinking that. <laughs> like they was black, wasn't they? Like God. Yeah, damn. we but we already know who gonna fight over the bill when the check comes. That's hilarious. But uh, oh, we'll go that, ahead and end uh, on that. Uh, Jamie Robinson, tell the people where they can and, check uh, you out at, uh, online and stuff. And everything. That's Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, um, Pinterest, all that other shit, whatever. <laughs> cool. All that shit. <laughs> Pornhub. Shows. <laughs> oh, no. All right, Ibrahim, same for you. You know, plug any shows if you got them, too. Uh, I know, right? <laughs> Dope. Um, I'm at Bedford Manor on Wednesday, the 17th. Dave Lester show. Dope. Um, there, I'm on Farmingdale, New Jersey. Jessica Kirsten headlining, and uh, whew, I just got booked for what's that? Cabs show at right, Trey Jolet. Right. See, you can tell he's over in New Jersey where they acting like COVID ain't even real. What? Two this, of those shows this nigga got show. three or four nigga, shows. Dave Lester show. Nigga, look, I'm in Jersey. 
but two of them shows. I went to Dave's show two weeks ago. Oh, all right. He was like, yeah, yeah. Okay. Bedford, Dave Lester in in a uh, cab. You gotta be careful, man, because Dave okay. Lester be like, yo, man, we finally. I'm just hating because you out here book more than me right now. It ain't check no temperatures. Like, yo, I'm out of here, man. I'm out of here, fam. I can't be taking these chances. <laughs> what? No, I, went, I just went there last. I just went there last. Yeah, year. they they, they supposed to. But we were there, and they, it wasn't they, doing. They make, it. You, I was like, down, they make you sign everybody in too. Yeah. Oh shit. Yeah, they wildin'. Nah. So nah, Jamie. Jamie, you didn't hear the joke earlier, but they they said the running joke now with New York <laughs> and Cuomo is every time he gets an accusation, he opens up the city a little more. <laughs> <laughs> he said, "Oh, we had four girls. Uh, no, open it to thirty-five percent." But uh... <laughs> he grabbed me talking like R. Kelly in the beginning of ignition. <laughs> Usually, I don't do this, but uh. <laughs> Don't break them off with 10 more percent indoor dining. <laughs> they should have help. They should have bended that shit. But, but yeah, uh, I'm in there. Those places they can find me at uh, Ibrahim Khalif, I B R A H I M K H A L I F on you know Instagram, Twitter, and uh, I got my comedy album coming out. So yeah, that's it. Cool, dope. All right, per usual at I am Phil Hunt on all social media, and uh, it's been another motherfucker.